Bill's Mafia set Tyreek Hill's house on fire yesterday to try and uh, intimidate him into not playing during the during the upcoming Thursday night game. He's still going to do it, but uh, you know, taking the, the Mafia a bit of it too literally, I think you know. Four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. We're down to the tail end of the season here. It's either dead rubber games or it's your entire life on the line. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? Post-Christmas, uh, all returning home or already home. How is uh, life fits? You're back in Cork now, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sure my mother would dispute the cork as my home, but yeah, it is, it's home. Uh, but yeah, no, not too bad. Only got back uh, there just uh, yesterday, so just settling back in, getting used to the place again, and uh, yeah, getting ready to go back to work uh, pretty soon. Very good. And Sean, are you, you're still on the road. Are you in Athlone at the moment, are you? Yeah, halfway home uh, in Athlone for the week. We got here Sunday. I've, I've completely lost track of days at this point. New Year's <laughs> Eve. We, we, we travel yeah, down Yeah, Sunday, Sunday. And we're here till the end of the week. Uh, so, yeah, seeing in-laws, going to... My sister got me a voucher for afternoon tea in the local fancy restaurant. So we did that yesterday. So uh, Very nice. It's been, it's, been, it's been a good... A nice break. It's slightly different to the Donegal experience, but good in its own way. Mm, very good. Yeah, we're back home now, having toured Donegal and Kerry, so it was uh, it was good fun. We were uh, seeing family in both. We had a uh, my wife's sister had a had a child there at the while we were down, so we were kind of doing a bit of babysitting duties on the on the younger kids and stuff. So they are big fans of our dog, but maybe too big fans of him. So uh, he didn't really get any sleep as they chased him around the house the entire time, wanting to hang out with him. So he was quite happy to get back to Dublin for a bit of a rest. But now he's excited. We've got this week off, so we're heading off to Wicklow this afternoon to go for a bit of hiking and maybe see a friend of the pod, Bartla, at some point. So that'll be good crack. But uh, yeah, I'm back to work now on Monday coming. So uh, I've at least got the weekend to you know live up the holiday lifestyle for a little bit longer. Um, I suppose we should kick off into it. Um, so breaking news, our, our top news story, uh, Ronan Fitzpatrick, what NFL gear did you get at Christmas? <laughs> I got an Eagles uh, t-shirt, uh, you know, very much appreciated, of course, but uh, look, it was mislabeled, so I don't blame the uh, purchaser for being mm. uh, fooled by whoever, uh, whatever scurrilous retailer uh, has yeah. been taking advantage of people's money. So it's just a, a bird bros t-shirt, we'll say. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you gotta collect all the yeah, bird uh, t-shirts collect, now. Collect all the birds now. Yeah. yeah. Exciting times. Um, no, we'll kick it off and go controversy corner. So, uh, so it's the big news since we were talking last is uh, Denver's quarterback situation. So they have benched Russell Wilson. Uh, he's expected to be released uh, come March in a basically a, a mechanism that allows him to split some of the cap hit for cutting him. Uh, we mentioned on the previous pod, actually, I think I was saying at the time. Uh, I, I, I wondered if it, this was maybe the end of the time of Wilson in, in Denver and, and, and if he was going to be gone. And then lo and behold, like 30 minutes after we finished recording, the story broke. Um, so ostensibly, Denver said this is to do with um, injury guarantees in the contract. Uh, the story 
goes that they came to him about two months ago, uh, I think following the win uh, against Kansas City, and started talking to him about the guarantees in his contract and the injury guarantees in his contract and were threatening to bench him if he didn't readjust those. And that's essentially what they've done here. Their concern is if they're planning to get rid of him, and if he was to get injured between now and the end of the season or when they would release him, uh, he would then be due an additional $35, $40 million. So as it stands, he's going to cost them about $70 million or $75 million to cut him. Uh, 35 next year, 40 the year afterwards. But this would tack on an additional $30 million to it, which is uh, you know not what they want. But uh, obviously the relationship is broken down here. Uh, this from the signs of things, was kind of a done deal from earlier on the season. They just kind of kept a lid in it a little bit. It does put some of the uh, sideline shouting between Sean Payton and Russell Wilson in recent weeks in slightly different light. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one because obviously this is a... Uh, these players aren't massively protected in the case of injuries. So when it comes to negotiating contracts, one of the things they're looking for is injury guarantees and so on. And, you know, it's meant to be a positive for the teams and for the sorry for the players rather than the teams but when it results in stuff like this where they now just go for fear of you injuring yourself we're going to take you off the field even though they and i don't think he's having a particularly great season but they clearly do think he's the best option they have but they're not playing him for fiduciary concerns that's not a great look for the league this has happened to a couple of other quarterbacks it happened with Derek carr uh two years ago it happened it's happening currently with jimmy garoppolo in uh in in uh Vegas it's a bit of a messy one um yeah like we'll, we'll talk about just what that looks like contract wise and what those implications are first and then we'll just start dunking on them for how bad a trade this was so I think the cap is if they cut them right now it's around 85 million um as you mentioned they can split that across two seasons as a post-June 1st cut if they choose to do so but of course then you got 40 million next year and the year after both of which are basically going to ruin your roster restriction process. So there are some people who would argue it might be better just to get it out of the way in one season and just eat dirt next year effectively uh, and move on with whatever the next stage of the Sean Payton verse is going to be in Denver. Um, like this is a fairly controversial way of doing things. The NFLPA basically said it's illegal to be threatening players to change their contract to get certain things to happen. But of course we know that, you know, as the players always say, it's a business and you know, I suppose shakedowns are part of business to some extent, but this certainly is kind of on the outer orbit of what, you know, is kind of an acceptable way to achieve your end goal. Like the fact that they were, you know, asking for this cut down at the point at which he was already basically in the middle of his winning run when they were actually starting to turn things around when they beat the Chiefs kind of gives an indication of how rough this was. And, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. Like, we, we've kind of been making fun of Russell Wilson for many years now because uh, of his persona and stuff, but it's actually genuinely, you know, turns things around. You go, actually, you know, he doesn't deserve this kind of bullshit, basically. And as you say, the kind of antics from Sean Payton, and, of course, Sean Payton has a, a somewhat checkered history in terms of his uh, approach to the welfare of his own players and the players of other teams. Um, that doesn't exactly shine him in a particularly good light either. So I think for Denver... Based on what they've done here, it wouldn't really make sense for them to keep Russell Wilson, despite the fact that the extension technically hasn't even started yet. Um, this is really still running through the Seattle portion of his contract, but based on doing this, it kind of feels like there's no way this can come back. So, yeah, about $85 million, they're going to have to sunder that out some way across their uh, cap over the next couple of years. And, yeah, obviously, this is the, the second year in a row we've seen a team 
uh, bench a quarterback to ensure that God uh, guaranteed contract money doesn't come in. So I imagine that might have an influence on negotiations in the future as well. But uh, yeah, for Russell Wilson, look, I, I think you know this year at least wasn't a disaster year he had last year. I imagine he will still have some value. Someone will be willing to pick him up as of basically as a as a free agent to be their starting quarterback. So this isn't the end of Russell Wilson, but yeah, probably the end of him being a superstar, high paid quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think we can kind of label it a disaster, though, in terms of even... Okay, so you... Obviously, first, in the terms of the trade and the, the various personnel they've given up and the, the, re, the renegotiated contract, all of that is a disaster from the Broncos' point of view. They Season one under Hackett, obviously, was, was just a, a complete mess uh, where Russell Wilson just looked out of his depth, which was a surprising thing for a veteran Super Bowl-winning quarterback to look like it even though it's looked better this year it hasn't actually we've seen the limits of, of what an offense under russell wilson looks like like the broncos have a, have had a pretty good defense and peyton seems to be getting schemes and seems to know how to make his maximize his team's equity as it were but offensively they've, they've looked very limited this year largely because wilson is very much past his best and even under a system where the guy knows what he what he wants from him and there's a better communication between head coach and quarterback it's still still not great you know uh and he's definitely looking i think at a, at a any future is is a, as a backup i think as best or unless a really bad team wants to gamble on him you know rediscovering some of his magic joe flacco style or something uh i yeah i i, I don't think we can in any way use this season slight improvement to excuse just how bad this has been overall for Denver and for Russell Wilson's reputation. Oh yeah. Like I'm with you. I'd see him more as being kind of in that backup range or like, like no one's going to want to give him big money now anyway. That's, that's for certain. Um, just to look at the trade deals. Cause I, I, I put a message into one of our, our larger NFL chat groups and I said like, how does this compare? Is this potentially worse than the Baker Mayfield or sorry, potentially worse than the, uh, Sean Watson trade? Cause it's it's interesting. They can get out of it. And they have to eat a lot of money, but like just look at what they gave up. So they got Russell Wilson and they got a fourth round pick back, right? They gave up three players: Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant. Fant played fairly well. Harris played okay, and Locke won them a game or two there as a backup. So that's fine. But they gave up two first round picks, two second round picks, and a fifth round pick uh, to for this, which is ridiculous. And like we said, they then gave Russell Wilson a two hundred forty five million dollar extension, which he hasn't played a single snap of football under. Um, like it's just it, it's abysmal and I'm I'm mostly just confused. Like they've still got the same general manager as the general manager who made this trade, right? Like I think it is a disastrous move, objectively, now that we're at the end of it, or, or most likely at the end of it. However, I think in the NFL, the quarterback is such a central position that taking big swings is kind of part of what you need to do to make, make it in this business, you know, because you know, as a GM or a manager, you basically have, what, like, you know, three years, basically, to sort something out before you're likely in the firing line. So I don't blame them for going for, you know, Russell Wilson, someone who's been a, a perennial pro bowler, obviously with a lot of, you know, won a Super Bowl and stuff like that. Um, I think, you know, ideally in ideal world, you wouldn't have to give all the money straight up. But, you know, once you've traded for them, I mean, it's worse off. I think, you know, ironically, maybe I would probably consider something like the Jamal Adams trade to be worse because that's for a position that isn't quarterback uh, even. And the performance is about equally bad, albeit a lot of injuries in that case. So, you know, it's a disaster for the team. They're going to have to eat the cap. But the NFL is a year to year league. 
you know, once we get to 2025 and Sean Payton has had a chance to overhaul this roster, like this will, I wouldn't say forgotten, but it'll be moved on from. So, look, I think, yeah, objectively, the way it's worked out, horrible. But in terms of, you know, doing lots of stuff to try to get a quarterback that you think could turn your team around, you know, the logic is going to be there. And I, I don't expect teams will be shy about making similar moves if similar quarterbacks become available in the future. Um, I think for Denver... The biggest short-term question is what they're going to do at quarterback next year. I imagine, given the draft, like, you know, Stidham will probably be given a chance. You know, they might try and pick up someone like Jameis Winston if he's available from New Orleans. Maybe they draft another guy in the kind of second, third, fourth round, something like that. But, uh, yeah, for Denver, yeah, like, look, it sets you back. But, you know, the, the logic, I don't think the logic up front was wrong, but just the outcome. You know, I think the logic guys. up front was wrong, and I think... On the podcast, I said I thought it was wrong as well. I didn't know why they were giving up that much for Russell Wilson, who, when you think back to it, looked washed for his last two years in Seattle as well. Like, he, he didn't look like he was worth this contract in the first place. But I get what you mean by a team that's stuck in the doldrums will take a swing to try and save their jobs and stuff. But yeah, I just think it's overall a complete mess. Well, um, you know, <laughs> usually the, the good options aren't available. So you have yeah, to think that's what's true. Available. That's true. Um, and we can, we, can, we, we can probably do a deep dive over the off-season about comparing the worst trades of the last couple of years. But we've got a lot of news and we've got a lot of football to get through. So we'll start powering through. Uh, the New York Jets have released Alvin Cook, the running back he requested to be released from the team. He hasn't really been getting much playing time. And obviously the Jets are on a road to nowhere at the moment. He's hoping he might get picked up by a contender or get himself as a backup onto one of those teams. I think there's an outside chat for it he hasn't looked great this year but there are people who need fresh legs um yeah like i i, I wouldn't be giving him much money or anything but definitely a decent rotational piece to put in at the as, as a backup or whatever onto a team right yeah i would say the only team that really stands out potentially is dallas they like their big moves tony pollard's been a big disappointment at running back as their lead back so you know there's a few other teams in the lower end of the playoffs or who might want to bolster their, their provisions but uh, yeah he didn't look great in his uh, cameos this year uh, so I don't think he's going to have that much value but hey if he can get onto a, a playoff roster he always has that chance of getting well, a that's ring that's it and like look if he's if he's cheap enough sure the Chiefs currently have three or four injured running backs and we might we might need to bring in some I uh, believe he's currently clearing waivers as we speak um, we'll look at the injury list now so Miami have lost edge rusher Bradley Chubb he injured his ACL in the game last week and he's gone for the season defensive back Xavier Howard has hurt his foot and he's week to week which means he's probably going to miss what we'll be discussing as a very key matchup in week 18 and uh, Jack Jacksonville wide receiver Jamal Agnew has hurt his leg and he's gone for the season. So those are the big ones. Uh, Jesus, Miami are really just collapsing, aren't they? They're just losing players left and right. Yeah, and it's particularly galling because this was a non-conduct injury that happened towards the end of a blowout game. So there was really not playing for anything at that point. So extra hurt. In that case, Xavier Howard, obviously one of their key cornerbacks and you saw immediately that Lamar was exploiting that defensive backfield when he went out and we saw that earlier this season when they were very low on defensive back provision he's expected to miss this week obviously a huge game against Buffalo we'll talk about that later so yeah not great times for Miami yeah that their their holding division looks pretty slight right now and then Jamal Agnew a kind of key special teamer has also has made some contributions at the wide receiver position um they'll have to sort something out there but Jacksonville I don't know like it feels like they might make the playoffs but they don't feel like they're going to go much beyond that yeah they're kind of stumbling into it um other injuries around the league so uh baker mayfield to the Tampa bay quarterback has hurt his ribs in his week to week houston edge rusher will anderson hurt his ankle and his week to week noah brown their wide receiver has hurt his back and is probably going to miss this week's game and robert woods their uh, kind of veteran wide receiver has hurt his hip and his week to week green bay's wide receiver jalen reed has hurt his ribs and aj dillon 
their running back has a hand in the stinger. Both of those are week-to-week. Seattle running back Kenneth Walker has hurt his shoulder. Abe Lucas, their tackle, has hurt his knee. And Evan Brown has a concussion. All of those guys are week-to-week, although Walker is tending far more towards playing. The Orleans running back Alvin Kamara has hurt his ankle and is now day-to-day. And Devonta Smith, who hurt his ankle, the Philadelphia wide receiver, is day-to-day. And, if I remember correctly, beefing hard? Or is it Brown that's beefing hard with the management? I believe Brown is the one who's... Brown is beefing uh, but, uh, hard. I'm sure we'll have plenty of opportunities to discuss the uh, Philly situation. We will, yeah. Uh, San Francisco running back Christian McCaffrey has tweaked his calf, so he's week-to-week, but they've already secured the number one spot, so they're just going to rest him this week. Cleveland wide receiver Amari Cooper has hurt his heel, and Elijah Moore has got a concussion, so both of them are week-to-week, which is going to very, very much injure their week 18 wide receiver core uh, as we're talking about these bits but they have guaranteed themselves a spot in the playoffs anyway as a wild card Washington quarterback Jacoby Brissett started his hamstring is week to week so Howell is going to be playing week 18 and uh, Tennessee quarterback Will Levis has hurt his foot and is also week to week so quite a lot of injuries coming in here you kind of expected at the tail end of the season um, but yeah a few ones of note there so obviously Houston they have back uh, Stroud but now Brown and Woods are probably going to be missing this week as well so that's not great and Will Anderson is a big loss for them off the edge so they're kind of struggling for their lives Green Bay are the same and like we'll see like AJ Dillon hasn't been fantastic anyway Jalen Reed has been stepping up quite well for them though which is a which is a bit of a knock on their chances as well yeah like look a lot of injuries that could be impactful for teams who are trying to get their way into the playoffs obviously Baker Mayfield if he doesn't play, um, then that's obviously a huge letdown for Tampa Bay as they try to beat Carolina and secure a, a playoff spot. Um, I think the early indications were positive, but they've been going a little bit more negative over the last couple of days. So definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, obviously, they don't want to be playing their back up there. Uh, Houston, just just so many injuries this year. And this isn't even the... They also have like injuries to Laramie Tunsil and to defensive linemen as well. But yeah, Will Anderson obviously kind of coming off a great game. Uh, they hope he'll be able to play through the pain. Uh, Noah Brown and Robert Woods, they're not the kind of wide receiver of one. Nico Collins would be that, but obviously, you know, you're getting fairly into your depth if you're missing two of your kind of wide receiver two, yeah. three type options, especially with Tank Dell going out earlier this year. Jaden Reed's been a really great player for Green Bay, as probably the best out of their young receiving core, so they definitely miss him in a must-win game against Chicago to secure their playoff hopes. Seattle hoping Green Bay lose, you know, a number of offensive linemen down now. Kenneth Walker has been great for them recently, so they'll definitely hope that he plays. Kamara has been obviously a central part of that New Orleans offense recently, so they'll definitely hope he can suit up. Uh, indications are very 50-50 right now. And Devonta Smith, initially it looked bad because he was in a walking boot, but uh, later indications are more solid. CMC, Amari Cooper, Elijah Moore, they're all being rested because uh, they already have their position secured effectively. And then Jacoby Brissett, interesting because he was named the Week 17 starter, then had a hamstring injury announced, then was pulled. Howell started last week. Now Howell has been announced as the starter this week so you know a suitably stupid end to the uh, Washington uh, situation obviously huge changes coming to that team in the offseason and Levis you know one more shot he would have hoped to have to kind of secure a chance to, to compete for the starting quarter position in Tennessee next year but uh, looks like not to be for him and like a few of these are obviously big names but they don't matter as much so like CMC obviously they're they're locked into their spots so they don't really worry too much Cleveland, yeah that, that's purely precaution they're basically yeah. saying like if they had to play him they probably would but they yeah. don't, so why would you? Um, and and then, they're, uh, they're already resting a bunch of starters anyway. So. Well, that's it, yeah. And we'll, we'll obviously, we're, we're going to be talking about the playoff connotations and what games matter and stuff in a bit, so we'll kind of get into some of the some of the risky areas for certain teams when we get to there. Uh, the only bit of news is the XFL and the USFL. Uh, you may remember them. They are the alternative leagues that are kind of being 
trying to be run as summer leagues and feeder leagues and stuff. They're going to merge into the United Football League, the UFL, and that season is going to start March 30th. Um, there are some interesting elements to this that I think we discussed uh, back when they were being discussed with the XFL at the time. So there's uh, chats about this being, obviously, they're looking at these as a feeder league or second-tier players can kind of show their skills there kind of thing. But the interesting thing is that there was discussion about whether or not the NFL uh, will work with them to trial new rules uh, in this league. So basically, when we hear all of these you know, proposals about, well, what if instead of you know onside kicks, we allow people to try fourth and 17 or whatever – Basically, there's a chance that they might start trialing those rules in these leagues, so that could be uh, that could be interesting. But uh, I hope it works. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I never really feel a massive need to watch the football that's played at them because one, it's not of the highest level, and two, it's just like we've seen so many of these set up and fail. Hopefully, now with them combined and the backing and the partnerships they've got, they might be able to get this one to to, to stay a little bit longer. But yeah, like pretty much every time this has been tried within our lifetime, it's collapsed within the first season so yeah i, I think it, pro- oh, sorry. it's the it's the problem firstly of you know a lower quality league people are probably a bit burnt out of football after you know with the college season and the nfl season running basically concurrently between september and february people seem to want to break from football competing with baseball and basketball it's just there's never been a successful attempt to to run a secondary league despite the huge popularity of american football uh, in the states, which uh, so again we have to be skeptical about that. I mean, in, in, looking at this, it looks like they are doing some interesting things. They're having the number of teams, so both the leagues had eight teams, and now basically four teams will progress into two different conferences. So basically, they, in a theoretical sense, the team should be twice as good, or at least certainly the a better accumulation of talent, a less diluted making, pool. Yeah, therefore making the games better, you would imagine, um, and if they do some sort of link with the NFL where they where they experiment with rules and such like then maybe there is something there but there just doesn't seem to be an appetite for for American football in the summertime um and it's no, like, hard to see how that would change there's, other than there's you know, there's, they, there's there's no ties to the teams like you know, like the reason that like division 3 football survives is cuz people are connected to the teams versus like you know, why don't they just watch the better football? Well, because it's local, it's available and stuff. Whereas this is kind of like, oh, welcome your new, like, Toyota Longhorns out of whatever the fucking <laughs> yeah. podunk is. Like, like I suppose the appetite for American football, you know, you compare the amount of people who watch American NFL compared to other sports in the, in the US and it's it's ridiculous. So, you know, you don't need to be a percentage of that. I suppose that's the logic why this keeps happening. Um, and like in reality, like the the scheduling is more to do with the nature of the NFL off season than to do with what would probably be the best time to actually make some money, which would probably be the summer. So I think the league is designed to start around the point at which free agency is winding down in the NFL, and then to end before any kind of training camp stuff comes up. Mm. Um, so that kind of makes it the best opportunity. Your hope is that the most players possible will try this out as an opportunity to basically audition for the NFL. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, as, as Sean said, it's gone down to only eight teams. This is a fairly, I would say, conservative pitch and, and a hopefully more financially sustainable pitch for what this could be. And obviously now you're not spreading across two different leagues. You only have one unified league. So the hope is you have enough of a quality level, like you have enough guys that you've heard of on a single team that you can kind of go, OK, maybe, you know, if you just keep half an eye on it, then that's kind of more than what they've been getting previously. So, you know, as you said, this is a very difficult proposition. It's obviously failed many times before, but I think they've gone with the kind of 
the kind of minimum viable product they can get away with and designed to kind of maximize the interest of players who are on the edge of being on NFL rosters. Um, but even given all those factors, probably still a tough road to head for it. Yeah. And on that lovely note, let's move on and look at the games from last week. So first up, we have Detroit at Dallas, 21-20, to and I won't hear anything else. Uh, it was well, it should have been 21-20, to but a controversial decision takes a two-point conversion off the board at the end and means that Dallas sneak away with a one-point win. Uh, essentially, they declared an offensive tackle as eligible uh, for the two-point conversion and got it. But due to confusion with the referees, the referees announced the wrong uh Lyman to be eligible and then when uh, Decker caught it it was deemed uh, an illegal catch and pushed them back and it was a whole mess basically the refs completely screwed the pooch on this one but uh, kind of it just means an unfortunate end for Detroit you could see at the podium afterwards how pissed off <laughs> how pissed off the coaches were about it um, Goff had a mixed day we'll say 271 yards a touchdown but two uh, interceptions he obviously wasn't able to get the two pointer after it was called back and they had to go for it again uh, I would I, I, I like the anger and the passion and the wanting to go for two I would wonder if maybe they should have just gone to overtime at that point but sure look uh i suppose it was a tough dallas defense they hadn't been getting the success throughout the day so maybe they felt they weren't going to be able to 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 continue it on into overtime and, and win it there um dak had a fairly decent day 350 yards two touchdowns and an interception nearly all of that went through cd lamb he went for over 230 yards and a touchdown in this game they were f- somewhat one-dimensional we'll say on this uh although it must be said the detroit defense played a little bit better this time around um mccarthy had some interesting decision making towards the tail end of the game and you would wonder this dallas team that looked so strong and then kind of went into a mini spiral and you know it's it's gotten away with it now and they're feeling pretty good they've got a chance to to lock up their division this week if they're able to uh if, they, if they're able to pull off uh well we'll, we'll discuss the, the connotation basically they're live for their division still we'll say uh following this but it it didn't feel like a dominant performance. I liked what we saw out of Detroit here. Uh, they fought their way back from behind. Uh, you would wonder if maybe it might might be somewhat prophetic of them being able to, to, to take it to these teams, but maybe just coming up a little bit short. Um, but we'll see. This was Dallas at home, and they are significantly better in their home, and they had the refs on their side, as I said. So, um, yeah, I... I don't know. Dallas, I some uh, coming out of this game, even though this is a win for them and they've now got a chance to control their destiny and possibly have some home playoff games. I don't feel great about Dallas after this game. I was expecting the home field to mean that they had a bigger bump in it and all that kind of stuff. And they get the win, but I'm not convinced. Detroit, uh, they had it. Uh, it shouldn't have come down to a two-point conversion attempt at the end they should be more consistent than that like you know Goff had a two had a two interception one touchdown game which is you know we've seen a couple of these this year this isn't a team that can weather the messy Goff games particularly well but they have a great run game and they can lead on that a little bit more um maybe maybe going forward uh like Detroit I think we can see they have a puncher's chance and I kind of think this might get their backs up going into the uh into the playoffs so that might be helpful for them but uh yeah, a little bit sloppy, but they do look a little bit more rounded as a team than they did beforehand. So overall, not the result that either team would really want. Dallas will take the win, but it wasn't as dominant as they like. The Lions will rue the fact they didn't get the win, but I think they know they can play with these boys. They just need to be a bit tighter, and Goff needs to cut down on the mistakes a little bit. 
Yeah, a messy game all around uh, for the refs more than anybody else. Uh, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the the kind of controversial two point thing. Obviously, it was it basically it's a it was a trick play. They'd been using one offensive lineman as the eligible receivers throughout the game. Then they wanted to switch to a different one in the hope that that would confuse the defense. The problem is it ended up confusing the refs. It's the fact that the play was was called. I think the play had to be called dead anyway because the Cowboys were misinformed about who was eligible. So therefore, they were protecting, they were defending the wrong player. So if it had stood, it would have been unfair to the Cowboys. Um, so it's it's just messy all around. And the problem is, it does look like it's going to be significant. At the time, we were like, well, it probably won't make that much of a difference to the playoff situation. But now we're we're now that. The Eagles have lost a game and Dallas have moved up into, likely into the two seed. This looks like, therefore, there's a potential Cowboys-Lions divisional playoff match if everybody wins out. Uh, in Looking at the second week of the playoffs, and instead of that game taking place in Detroit, now this game is going to take place in Dallas. And obviously with the Cowboys' huge home field advantage, uh, or their his, you know, the way the home field advantage has worked out for them this season, uh, that's going that could potentially be a deciding factor. So that's... You know, it's not looking great from the NFL co- uh, uh, point of view. That said, I mean, you're right there. Detroit, a lot to like about Detroit. They really, they had a game plan and it seemed to work. They they won the battle in terms of the run game. They restricted the Cowboys, I think, to 61 yards on the ground. Uh, the run defense really being looking to like a step up. And the defense in general has made massive improvements in the, in the past few weeks. So that's definitely something to, to look forward to. Offensively, maybe a little bit, weaker than it needed to be so there i saw some analysis online criticizing the lions offensive run game strategy in favoring uh gibbs over montgomery because of the way the cowboys set up in the, i think it's a 334 or something uh or 335 yeah basically where they're they're kind of light around in the box in the middle so therefore if you have a back they can just plow through the middle like montgomery it's better to use him than to rely on on, on gibbs so there maybe was a bit of mistake in terms of how they weighted their 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 one two combination uh, in the run game, you know, Goff had a bit of a messy situation. Both those interceptions were not great throws. The offensive line, which is supposed to be the strength of this team, uh, didn't have a fantastic game all around. Uh, Dan Campbell was maybe leaned a tiny bit too aggressively on on the fourth down situations here. There was a fourth and fourth and goal basically on the four yard line I mean in that kind of situation you just got to take the in a game like this it's a tight game against a team that is a good defense you take the points I mean uh, again the you know going for the two point conversion after the penalty from the seven yard line it's just like okay you know you, you got you got you got big cojones Dan Campbell but you know you don't need to show them on every single play uh, so Definite improvement for the Lions in terms of where they had they were maybe two three weeks ago, and they definitely feel like they're now ready to compete in the playoffs. And if they played like this, they will definitely have a shot at winning multiple playoff games. Um, and I, you know, if they come back into Arlington and play the Cowboys on the road, you know, they've proven that they can win in the stadium, which I think is important for them psychologically. But it's a missed opportunity to get to get a higher seeding. It's a missed opportunity to get a big scalp uh, and you do wonder maybe it'll come back to haunt them uh, in three or four weeks time in terms of Dallas. Uh, yeah. The, the Dak CD lamb connection is thriving, but not an awful lot else was going right for them offensively. 
defensively did okay, but they struggled a little bit. Sam Laporta kind of gave the, the Cowboys kind of a, a difficult day all round. And then Mike McCarthy, who's supposed to be the, you know, the, 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 the one, you know, the, the big shining light of this season has been Mike McCarthy taking over play calling and therefore, you know, improving the Cowboys offensively. And yet they had a real opportunity to kill this game at the two minute mark. And instead of just calling run plays to run the clock down, he calls a pass that goes incomplete and gives the Lions a chance to win the game that they shouldn't have had in the first place. So both teams can come away from this being you know, missed opportunities in terms of execution, missed opportunities in terms of coaching and decision-making, um, but the Lions can certainly feel like, even despite that, they should have won this game uh, had the had the refs done their job. Uh, but even the, conversely, the Cowboys can argue that had the refs done their job, they might, might have been able to stop that play. So we don't know. I guess it's up in the air, and, and we'll, if they do meet the divisional round, we'll finally know which of these two teams is the better, because for now, I think it's undecided. This was like a playoff preview, so... If you were to give them a grade, I would say both teams got a pass, but not much beyond that. Certainly some lessons to take from this that they need to learn quickly when they get into the into the actual tournament and they start facing, you know, teams of this quality. And of course, in the 49ers, a team of, of higher quality. And there'll be some major things that will take away. Obviously, you know, in terms of trying tricky stuff, obviously being super clear, keeping, having situational awareness and preventing the whole Decker stuff coming out. Like I get why they didn't do it because obviously the whole point of the the way it was done that was to try and create confusion for the Dallas defense but ultimately if you if you confuse the refs and you confuse yourself then you know you ultimately end up failing and I think at least you know in that case your contingency probably should be to just take the as you say to go to overtime if it doesn't work out rather than like doubling down uh, but that's what we love about Dan Campbell he's a he's a bit of a a brute force guy he wants to keep going he's like we're going to get this two point we're going to win this game we're going to go home and um, without overtime we're going to keep it in our own hands like that's it's admirable but ultimately when the margins get finer and finer and they're only going to get more tight from here on out you do have concerns that you know enough of those things go against them and the lions are going to have uh, you know another heartbreaking loss um in the playoffs potentially so uh, you know you kind of hope for that and i think you know you also see that the lions i wouldn't say they're one-dimensional but they don't have that many dimensions on the offense obviously it's really just amon raw and laporta on the pass offense and then the two running backs and when they're working they can dominate teams but as they get into the tournament you know it's gonna be less teams that that's gonna be true for and they're gonna have to really be more efficient i think in the second half, you saw them in up-tempo be much better. So maybe there's some lessons there to not come out and try and grind it out and do it boring if the other defense isn't giving you what you need to do that uh, and move on quicker to, you know, let's beat them where they're weak and, you know, the, the, the secondary isn't exactly a strength. And their defense, obviously, for, for Detroit is really, you know, I think it's been a little bit better recently, thankfully, than their mid-season swoon. But certainly they still have some weaknesses, particularly on those boundary corners. And, you know, I think when... That the, the Dallas offense was so one-dimensional, so reliant on C.D. Lamb. The fact that you couldn't shut that down, the fact you couldn't bracket him, is going to be a concern um, for me going forward. Um, for Dallas, like I think the biggest concern is probably the return of Mike McCarthy's questionable decision-making. As you said, towards the end of the game, he starts doing kind of classic Mike McCarthy things and kind of foofing around and, and making mistakes and kind of giving Detroit a chance to win this game. And, you know, outside of that, the biggest concern is probably just the complete lack of a run game. I think Tony Pollard's probably one of the most 
most disappointing players this year. You know, someone who's really hyped up uh, before the season as a new running back one and really hasn't done it. This seems like a team that probably would be better if they still had Zeke Elliott, to be honest, because he's been doing a solid job for Dallas, uh, sorry, for New England uh, down the stretch. And they just feel like, unless Dak the CD is doing everything for them, you know, they, they don't really have that many other cards in their deck. And their defense, while it's very good, I kind of feel kind of flatter to deceive sometimes. It's, it's really good when they're up and it can be aggressive and kind of get those picks and, and get those, you know, turnovers and pick sixes and stuff like that. But when the game is tight and when they need to be clutch, for lack of a better term, uh, there's been too many times this year where that hasn't exactly been what they've been, uh, especially against these better teams in the NFL. Um, so, you know, for both these teams, like they're good teams, they're solid teams. I think they, they both have a playoff run in them, but I think the concerns that we might have had basically the entire season, they're still there. And when you compare it to a team like, say, the 49ers, they definitely feel a step below that. Yeah. Uh, next up, Arizona at Philadelphia, 35-31. to 31. Philadelphia's free fall just keeps going. I was going to sing, but I don't think anyone wants that at this time <laughs> of the morning. Um, Kyler just decided to uh, turn on and do good Kyler bullshit. Uh, 256 yards, two touchdowns. He had an interception, a pick six in the red zone. But um, yeah, they basically just kind of went, well, if you're going to let us have it, uh, Philadelphia defense, we're going to do it. James Conner had 133 yards and two touchdowns, and they had no issue at all moving the game, moving the ball throughout the game. Um, like they had some mistakes which allowed Philly back into the game really, but like you know, they they, they didn't struggle offensively really in this at all. Uh, it was twenty one to six at halftime. Hertz had uh, an efficient but not flashy day, one hundred and eighty two yards and three touchdowns and an uh, interception passing, but like essentially. Philadelphia's defense couldn't stop the run, so Arizona just leaned on it and were able to dominate time of possession. I think they were about two to one in the time of possession. His Philadelphia defense is just it's just collapsed over the last five or six weeks. Like we were saying that they looked shaky and then that they were collapsing and then all of a sudden like their cornerbacks look like they shouldn't be playing this year, uh, let alone kind of at the level of they, because they started out the year playing fairly all right, but now they're just atrocious. Their linebacker core isn't really doing anything. The rotation on the line isn't getting the kind of penetration and causing the disruption it used to beforehand. They're essentially like half benching Carter at the moment. Uh, just I don't know if that's a, a, a motivational thing or it's saving his legs because he didn't play as much in college and was getting tired and worn down over the over the time but like just this defense is is atrocious at the moment like Arizona being able to move the ball at will on you and score 35 points is not the sign of a championship team we will say uh friend of the pod Ian who's a who's, who's an Eagles supporter and follows him a lot closer here uh and I've noticed it, it turning up in media around the league as well this week is talking about like possibly the Eagles cleaning house on on management after this season uh, unless like something incredible happens in the playoffs this is an utter and total collapse from Philadelphia and it's kind of amazing to see from say like week nine to now how we talk about this team has changed so much and then the other side Arizona great performance they saw the weakness in the Philadelphia defensive personnel and scheme and they said grand we're just going to do that and I'm not going to lie if Arizona are able to do that I would think that there's probably a lot of other teams that will be able to do the exact same thing so Philly need to really turn the ship around if they want to do anything in the playoffs at all um but yeah not not a good look for them Arizona get a little happy scalp here at the tail end of what's essentially a lost season yeah, like this free fall is getting incredibly concerning for a team that, you know, was the favorite number one seed only a month or so ago. 
and now they're losing to teams like Arizona and not just losing but losing comprehensively this score flatters Philadelphia for a long time this felt like a game that Philadelphia would look their way to a win kind of similar to what they were doing kind of in the middle of the season um, but the, the complete domination effectively of them by Arizona eventually came through and Arizona were able to secure a win because the first half you know you got a basically 14 point swing where Arizona were in scoring position and then the ball goes all the way for a pick six like a 99 yard return like that's the kind of swing that you know if you end up losing after that you you know there's going to be even more questions than there would be necessarily just because of how bad the game was overall but you know Arizona they, they were able to move the ball whenever they wanted to. Like, Kyler looked efficient um, outside that pick six, you know, as you said, to over 200 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, but I think James Conner in particular was just absolutely dominating the interior of this um, Philadelphia line, which is supposed to be a strength of this team, but which hasn't really been showing up recently. You haven't heard much about Jalen Carter. You haven't heard much about Jordan Davis recently. They've just kind of gone a little bit off the boil, and then you kind of see if they're not doing their job, that guys like Hassan Reddick, who are really, really great players, but they're not run stoppers like they're he's an undersized guy and um, kind of a hybrid edge type player and he got exposed on one of the, the, the touchdowns and that's because no one else is doing their goddamn job and on the offense it's similar for philadelphia everyone's getting pissed off aj brown as you mentioned or alluded to is getting is making cryptic comments about being pissed off hurts is making cryptic comments by people not doing pulling their weight you know the whole thing feels like it's falling apart very quickly and you know obviously wins uh, fix everything um but you know the playoffs are now just around the corner to the team that'll be playing on wildcard weekend um probably against a you know not particularly impressive team but you know against anyone right now you feel like philadelphia you can take the l but like i suppose for arizona just to say like you know obviously as you say a lost season but some interesting decisions being made about this team going forward i think jigal and ganahan down the stretch has shown enough life in this team and overall has probably made them play above the level that they're at based on the quality of their roster um that you know i think they're going to continue to build around what they have i think kyler murray is basically guaranteed to be their quarterback based on all the public comments they're making they're basically saying he's our number one guy we, we want to keep having him so i would have questions about that in terms of sustainability but we know kyler's an incredibly talented quarterback so i think the biggest acquisition for, for the Cardinals in the offseason would probably be an expert in gamification, maybe, just to try and somehow force Kyler Murray to, to learn how to be like a proper quarterback and avoid the kind of the boneheaded decisions that we've seen this week and last week that, you know, take a game that they should win easily into one or which they were competitive in last week, but uh, may, maybe gives the other team the opportunity to, to stick around or to win last week. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, Arizona, they are what they are, but they, they're obviously a young team. They can grow from here. But for Philly, yeah, like, look... I I think the offense isn't working, the defense is working, nothing is working. And for a team that's in win now mode, um, you know, that pressure is building. And, you know, now there's the report, like, you know, and Sirianni doesn't look happy. And obviously, you know, you, you mentioned the big, like, losing all of this defensive production. And of course, then you always also think back to a last few you know, couple of weeks ago when they decided to put Matt Patricia as the play caller. And yeah, the whole thing is just such a stew of a mess that, you know, this, this, the way they played the field, absolutely abhorrent. The way things are playing off the field, absolutely abhorrent. And yeah, like, you know, going from a month ago where I, th- oh, I thought it would be impossible that anything would really be happening in the offseason for this team suddenly yeah like a full-on explosion implosion type scenario in the in the playoffs and in the offseason now feels much more credible but uh yeah fair play to arizona philadelphia jesus things are going as bad as they possibly could in such a short amount of time yeah i don't think humiliation is is an understatement here because whatever about the eagles losing to a really good 49ers team or even losing to the cowboys in a crucial game this was Arizona Cardinals at home you kind of have you're in a situation where you have to win out to hold on to your your division and your your high seating 
uh, and you've got home games against the Cardinals and you've got the Giants next week. So it's very doable. And they just, they just did not perform at all. Uh, and yeah, obviously the questions have to be asked about the, you know, the, the backroom staff and all the situations happening there and the coaching, et cetera. But also the players just have to turn up at a certain point. They really kind of felt like they just weren't finding any answers uh, whatsoever in this game. And as you say, Ronan, they kind of were flattered a little bit in the first half by the fact that they, you know, the, the Cardinals didn't punish them as much as they should. But the second half was just a complete disaster. The offense kept stalling all, all, all the time in key situations. Every time they had a big play, it kind of went wrong. It's a bad situation when Julio Jones is, a, is the guy that looks like the star on your team, given he's, you know, 38 or something ridiculous. The, the bigger question, though, is the defense. I mean... They basically didn't stop the Cardinals from scoring all game, except for they had one kind of turnover situation. They didn't. St- they did. They allowed the Cardinals to score basically on every other drive. The second half, it was just a complete disaster. All Matt, Matt Patricia seems to have done is to weaken this for the defense. They give up, I think, an average of seventeen points in the second half now, uh, under uh, since Patricia has taken over the run defense. Obviously, James Conner just 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 steamrollered over them I, I i do think that i have talked a little about this in the past that the defense does look quite tired ever since about that that overtime game against the bills they've just kind of, they've had a lot of snaps uh kind of week on week on week on week and they haven't really gotten the break that they need i'm beginning to wonder if the best option for the eagles is even though they have an important game theoretically against the giants this week the likelihood that they're going to be able to grab that divisional title is quite slim given the Cowboys only have to beat the Commanders. I'm wondering if the Eagles shouldn't just rest everybody this week to give everybody a week off to just recharge the batteries and be like, okay, we can draw a line under whatever has gone wrong at the end of the season and we'll come back. We'll come back in a week fresh, ready to play, ready to, to you know tear apart the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the New Orleans Saints. Or They'll have a pretty weak wildcard game, so they, they do have a chance to kind of get their groove back. And I'm wondering if that's maybe the way that this team can try and reset itself because it's, it's in a rut. And every week that progresses, that rut, it, it, they seem to be getting deeper and deeper into that rut, and they need to find a way out. And that's where good coaching becomes very important, and, and a good work kind of workplace culture, and, and people believing in the project, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe that's the the key element that's missing now is is that the key players don't believe in this as much as they did, you know, four or five weeks ago, not to mention a year ago. Uh, and maybe in the long run, a, a cleaning of house is what needs to be done. But certainly, they need to do something to get this team back in the groove, or their playoffs are going. They'll probably win their wildcard game because the NFC South is garbage. But they're looking like this Eagles team will probably then end up going to San Francisco uh, in in the divisional round and just get played off the field. Uh, not a lot to say about Arizona because they're, they're not a particularly interesting team. The the big question, as Ronan said, is the the Kyler situation. Uh, given they're going to have a high draft pick and they could change, pivot there in terms of quarterback. But yeah, Kyler's got the talent. He just needs the coaching. And I don't think he's actually ever gotten the hands-on coaching that he needs. And if he got that, you could maybe mold something out of him. But right now, it still kind of feels like all raw talent and not a lot of, uh, you know, coherent, consistent product, which is what the Cardinals need from a quarterback going forward in the long run. Yeah. Speaking of... uh collapsing teams Miami took on Baltimore 19 to 56 Baltimore secured the number one seed in a dominant display Lamar had 356 yards five touchdowns basically closes the book on the MVP race and uh, yeah just like loads of explosive plays this Miami defense looked just completely out of sorts now as we mentioned there's some injuries uh, they're missing a couple of players but 
this is a team that was, you know, a juggernaut early in the season and is just now kind of stumbling towards the playoffs. And I don't think there's too many people who are overly worried about facing them right now. Tua had 237 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, obviously, this Baltimore defense is very good, but it didn't help as well that, like, you know, Hill was held to 76 yards. He's still playing through an injury. Um and was just kind of completely kept in check by them. A-Chain was pretty good on the ground. He had 137 yards and a touchdown. But to be honest, at that point, Baltimore could just let them run the ball if they wanted. They were so far behind. It wasn't really going to cause them any concerns in the game script. This Miami team... Well, we'll start with, so we'll start with Baltimore. Baltimore look uh, incredibly good. They look the class of the AFC at the moment. Although we have seen that, like, Depending on the opponent, they can match up poorly. Uh, they do have moments of faltering, but at the moment, everything's hitting. Isaiah Likely has stepped in really well to fill in at the tight end position. Uh, their wide receivers are working well. Zay Flowers is really kind of performing exceptionally well for a rookie. It's um, yeah, it's 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 just rolling pretty well for them at the moment, and like they're doing this with you know their second and third choice running backs as well. Like they're doing just a phenomenal job. I'll be intrigued to see if they come up against some slightly more stout defenses in the in the postseason what that might look like but yeah they kind of romped through this Miami team who like I said Hill underperformed Hill is injured he's still wearing a walking boot uh, outside of practices and stuff so that leg is not right Waddle I think was just just injured he should be back for them now hopefully but like they're just they're just not getting what they want anymore and it's kind of what we said before how this Miami team had a great plan a was never really able to swap to a plan b it's good that a chain is back and running well and maybe that'll bring them a bit more balance but um yeah there seems to be kind of a book out on this miami team and they're they're struggling mightily at the moment and i don't think they have the pieces to turn around now look they're an explosive offense if hill's feeling healthy and uh and and, and waddle is back and the run game is going like i wouldn't discount them from any game but it feels like they're more solvable than they were at the start of the season. And, you know, like they've, they've, they've had losses to most of the big AFC teams. So like, it's not, it's not exactly a terrifying prospect, but there is a potential there that possibly they've just storing their bits up to, 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 to unleash them down the road. Um, that said, they're now facing a big uphill struggle because they're going to have to take on the bills this week and uh, beat them if they want to take the AFC East. Otherwise they're sitting in the wild cards and they're going on the road. Um, that said, we'll, we'll talk about it. When we come up to that game, but it's good to see the Buffalo are already getting ahead of themselves. So bills mafia set Tyreek Hill's house on fire yesterday to try and uh, intimidate him into not playing during the, during the upcoming Thursday night game. He's still going to do it, but, uh, you know, taking the, the mafia a bit of it too literally to think, you know, <laughs> maybe upstate New York, maybe. Um, but yeah, look, this is a, a staggering punch drunk Miami team and an absolutely swaggering championship level Baltimore team. Uh, I know which one of the two of these I'd like to face. Yeah, I, I, I think what this game has given us is a kind of confirmation rather than kind of new information it's kind of a confirmation of our existing kind of narrative biases or or whatever everything we thought about these two teams was kind of confirmed by this game the the dolphins i mean i've talked all season i was literally talking about this in like week two uh this offense is incredibly brittle they have they have a really good option a and when that option a is clicking they're very difficult to beat but you stifle it or in this case they start to get a little bit injured 
and they don't really have the way to grind out the results that they need to. They don't necessarily have developed the, the, the other options. And that, I think, is going to hurt them. I think now we're getting to the stage of the season, firstly with the Bills and then into the playoffs, where that kind of lack of flexibility is going to hurt them. The big thing here for me is not necessarily Tyree Kill, but I think it's the fact that Jalen Waddell, you know, his, his absence hurt because he... He he opens up the options. He makes it a lot easier to to do fancy things with Tyreek Hill. He makes it a lot easier to open up the options for other receivers and such like without without having their full complete set playing at at a hundred percent. It's just the it doesn't click right. There's a lot. There are teams like this. The San Francisco 49ers are, are as we talked about, are kind of like this. Although they they have more options and they're they're a little bit more robust in terms of the, the various things they can do to you. But with the Dolphins, it's very much. Plan A has if it's perfect, they'll score seventy points to you. If it's not perfect, they they look they look really solvable uh, as a team, and it, it hasn't gotten better. And it's one thing to say this in week two or week three when they're you know just you know grinding past the chart, they're you know winning a shootout against the Chargers, and you're like, oh, things will get better. It, when you're talking about this happening in week seventeen, right now going into the biggest game of the season they have next week. It's a very bad place to be, especially given the the defensive situation. Obviously, their defense has been up and down all season. It kind of felt like they were figuring things out, but you know, they got completely destroyed here, uh, and it looked like they didn't have any answers for what the Ravens were throwing at them. And compounded by that, by the injuries, I mean, Bradley Chubb's absence, I think in particular, is going to hurt them in terms of what their D line can do to say Josh Allen so stuff like against the Bills next week. So the Dolphins not in a great place and it's difficult to see how they're going to find their path out of the, the kind of the mess that they've gotten themselves in. In terms of the Ravens, uh, I don't I, I know Ronan isn't as up on the Ravens as I am. Maybe that's changed after this performance, but I this is just so good. Uh, this was the, this was their most complete performance of their season, which, given how good their season has gone so far, is saying something. They look they look really, really locked in uh, and dominant on the offensive side. Lamar, obviously, he's 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 found his groove. Uh, he's it's amazing how the 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 loss of the kind of the Mark Andrews kind of the the anchor that the the kind of the reliable guy he could throw to. Has kind of it's actually opened up the passing game, and now he's more willing to trust the guys around them, and he's found a rookie wide receiver and say flowers who's a great option and everything seems to be to coming together um and they're they're dominating teams and they look so comfortable while doing so this is this is the, the amazing thing for me is that they they don't look like they've had to you know get to the top gear yet they they look like they're cruising in third gear you know absolutely obliterating you know a team that's fourth fourth or fifth ranked team in the in the AFC it's it's they're capable of scoring so quickly and in massive chunks that you know you you turn off defensively against this team for 10 minutes and the game is over because they've scored 21 points on you in those 10 minutes so it's very difficult to see if they play at this level how anyone's going uh, to be able to to keep with them because the defense is as good as it's ever been you know the solid ravens reliable defense but it's the offense where they've changed they finally figured out a lot of op- a lot of answers to the problems that this team have been having offensively for the past few years and now the big question is kind of doing the playoffs because obviously now we're back to the Lamar Jackson narrative which is he's great in the regular season but you put him in a playoff game and he starts to, to struggle I happen to think this Ravens team is a, is, a, is a different iteration it's a better version it's the best version of the Ravens I think we've seen since the, the team that won the Super Bowl at, at 11 10 11 years ago uh, and so I think they got to be considered the favorites 
for no other reason the fact that they have got this they're getting injuries like they did in past few years but it doesn't seem to be affecting this year they've seemed to have found a resilience and a way of playing that they haven't had in the past few years and it's going to be very if they can keep it at this level it's gonna be very difficult to see anyone else not just winning the afc but winning winning the the championship as a whole yeah i was just having a look there uh the dolphins are one in five against playoff teams so can yeah. and, you... th- and that win was against the the Cowboys, which was they yeah. scraped it basically. The, 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 and the Cowboys' second second week uh, in a row on the road in bad spots, yeah, because they've lost to, to to everyone else, even marginal. Like they've lost to yeah, they've lost to everyone. It's uh, it's quite crazy to be honest. Um, yeah, on reflection, how easy their schedule has been. Uh, next up, the Rams at the Giants, uh, twenty six to twenty five. The LA Rams kind of get. A little bit lucky here, and they secure a playoff spot with uh, Tyrod going for two, 359 yards, a touchdown interception. Um, yeah, they, they blew a couple of chances to take the lead late. Uh, it was a bit, bit, bit of a bit of a messy one for them. They had a couple of two-point attempts that just didn't go. They missed a 55-yard field goal and stuff. Stafford had 317 yards, a touchdown and interception. It was not a great day for him. Uh, there's a lot of yardage to, to Williams, a lot of yardage to Nakua and that, but, you know, this is not a... Ronan, not a not a performance that fills you with confidence hugely about the Rams. Like maybe maybe it was the Giants came up with a good scheme and they're kind of showing out well at the tail end of the of the season to try and ensure jobs being back next year. But like this is a Rams team that kind of feels like very much a, a one and done kind of playoff entry, right? I wouldn't quite say that because I think this is a team that probably plays better when they're playing tough football when they're in close games it feels like a team that if they're asked to take the, the foot off the pedal if they're asked to grind the game out they do not have that in their dna at all this year uh but you know that, that kind of reflects the fact that they're such a young team and they're relying on such a you know a small set of superstars to kind of carry their way through but you know against these lesser teams this is the third week in a row in which they've nearly like collapsed at the end of a game um this was probably the most near collapse, but they, you know they had let a load of points out to New Orleans uh, last week, and then they uh, let Washington score two late touchdowns, and they had a marginal chance at the end. So there's definitely been a theme recently of the Rams kind of just letting other teams back into it. But when you get to the playoffs, the likelihood is that they won't be in those type of situations because they'll be playing teams which will keep them close, um, and you might see the best of them then. Because I think it's similar to the to Shanahan, um, maybe uh, even more so given how much more limited they are as a roster. I think the Rams are a team that benefit from using everything like McVeigh and Stafford running at 110% like maximizing every margin really taking advantage of the all of the motion and all of the kind of other stuff that has become a kind of probably the biggest trend in NFL football on the offense this year and kind of getting guys like Puka Nakua open getting uh, Cooper Cup open Karen Williams has obviously been a, a force against what I would assume are some lighter boxes given the threat of, of Stafford and his wide receiver core um, but yeah in this game you know towards the end like you know I think there was many points in this game where the Rams were up I'd say 10 points or so and you go okay the Rams are better than the Giants we know that they're just going to pull away and make this an easy game but they just did not refuse to do that basically they kept turning the ball over they gave up a punt return uh, touchdown in this game uh, I don't know how many times Matt Stafford got sacked when they had multiple uh, punts towards the end of the game uh, to put this game away but the Giants just would not take the many many opportunities they were given um, to make this a game um, the two most egregious of course to stand out is that two point uh, you know after Tyrod you know really plays quite well to get them a touchdown um, to get them within one point 
and they go for the two-point conversion after the Rams give away a, a silly penalty, um, rather than t- so that, that's why they didn't take the point after, and he, like Saquon Barkley was wide open, like wide open, and he just had to like like float the ball out to Saquon Barkley and it would have been an easy two-point um, conversion and they would have had a late lead here and then of course at the very death of the game they, they have a 55-yard field goal and they they fail to convert that as well it's just like you know you can't get, push your luck any much more than the Rams did in this game and you kind of feel like it might have been better for the Rams if that two-point conversion had happened because then they could have you know they probably would have went, went down the field and scored a field goal themselves I kind of feel like if the chips were down they would have got it done but they just aren't a team made the Rams to to, to kind of hold on as for the Giants, like, look, uh, you know, I think at least being they've been more spirited at times in the back end of the season. I think they now know probably the best quarterback on their roster is Tyrod Taylor, but that's not really a good sign overall. They obviously gave a lot of money to Danny Dimes last, last offseason, so there's going to be a lot of pressure to put him back in there next season. But Tyrod just brought certain things that you don't get from, from Danny Dimes or from Tommy DeVito. You get actual, you know, experience. You get someone who, you know, shows up at clutch moments. You have someone who, you know, despite a lot of pressure, and he got sacked a lot of times in this game, to be fair, similar to DeVito, um, but you get someone who, who feels like they make it happen. And in the clutch parts of this game, you know, obviously the, the, the most clutch part the two-pointer didn't work out but he had a really long run to set up the touchdown he had a number of really nice passes um that kind of stood out and you're kind of like does that is Danny Dimes even capable of that anymore and it, it's going to be interesting to see where this team goes because you know it definitely feels like a team that needs that upgraded quarterback but they've already spent the money on a quarterback so the draft feels like the only appropriate thing because I think putting Tyrell out there week one <laughs> that's kind of the worst it's not the worst of all worlds but it's going to be a weird world for them um but yeah i think the giants very interesting times ahead for them but uh at least they're showing some fight down the, the stretch after having a pretty horrid first half of the season uh, i think dable has secured his job there and he can hopefully have a chance to improve things however that is especially the quarter acquisition in the off season but yeah the rams not a team made to be ahead but thankfully they're already in the playoffs and they're going into the into the playoff season where they're unlikely to be ahead by a lot of points uh, that much but just keep an eye on if there's a game where the rams are ahead in the playoffs do not trust it the other team can definitely come back it could be an exciting end don't turn off your tv set but uh look they have stafford they have cup they have puka who had a big uh, big uh, kind of reception in this game was kind of the the engine alongside kyron williams who's been absolutely storming at a running back position their defense donald has started to look like his old donald self and you've seen other guys like kobe turner show up over the course of the season so i wouldn't dismiss the rams they're just not a team that you can be trusted in any given game but i think they can give anyone in the nfc except potentially yeah i think even the 49ers i think anyone they can give a game to in any given week so you know definitely keep an eye on them but uh the consistency you need to win a super bowl not quite there the consistency the, the kind of upside needed to win a game a surprise game i definitely could see that happening yeah Next up, Cincinnati at Kansas City, uh, 17-25. Kansas City kind of grind their way to the eighth straight AFC West Championships. Mahomes goes for 245 yards and a touchdown. Uh, kind of just getting enough done, even though there was quite a number of drops in this game. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling being a big key point in that. Um, but this was basically the little engine that could Pacheco put the team on his back for large stretches. He had 165 yards and a touchdown. And Rashid Rice stepped up as well, 127 yards to kind of steady the uh, unfortunately there doesn't seem to be a lot of weapons functioning outside of those but we'll see uh, what they can figure out down the stretch Jake Browning had a fairly good start to this game but uh 
cooled off towards the back end. He had 229 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, they were kind of moving the ball quite well at the start, and they were using Browning's legs a good bit until I think they basically swapped and started putting a spy in on him. Um, but Kansas City's defense in the second half in particular really started to clamp down on them. Um, so they kind of got a turnover on downs at the goal line. Uh, they had six sacks in this one for them on the final drive, kept pushing them into negative territory. Um, some very good defensive uh, back play as well. Unfortunately, Jamar Chase was not available for comment afterwards on uh, the Kansas City defensive backfield, um, but I'm sure I'm sure he'll be running his mouth off again afterwards. Uh, so Cincinnati unable to really kind of get it going in the end. Now on the Kansas City side. It was better than what we've seen of late. There was a couple of big explosive plays, which is something that's been lacking out of this team so far, but there's not the consistency you'd like to see out of the wide receivers and still some communication errors here and there. The run game was working very well, but it was also, it's it, it's an offense that seemed to get its explosive plays back, but then not really have a plan for the red zone. So they came away, uh, there was five field goals for the for the Chiefs in this one, which was just kind of, not really what you want to be doing that spot in particular there was a series in the fourth quarter where they tried to go for it on third down on a rushing play with Mahomes he was ruled short of the downs marker so they went for it on fourth got it on the fourth down and then ended up just settling for a field goal whereas a, a touchdown would have actually just salted the game away and I think I think they went for the field goal on fourth and one and a half or something so you kind of there's maybe not the not the uh, clinical nature in the red zone and the scoring that we would like to see from the Chiefs, but this was a bit more of a return to to form for them on offense. So that's a positive sign, and the defense stepped up really well. Um, from the Cincinnati side, unfortunately, that's the tail end of the the, the dreams. They're not going to be making the playoffs now. Browning did a decent enough job that he's definitely cemented himself in with a career in the NFL. Like it'll be a backup, and then possibly you might see a team or two who are in need try and try and get them off their hands but i think cincinnati like what they have in them there and they'll keep them locked down as long as they can um yeah positive signs for kansas city but i'd still like to see a little bit more consistency on the offense i'd love to get mvs off the field but apparently the actual value he adds is that he's quite good in uh in in, in pass blocking and in uh blocking downfield so that's kind of why they like him but yeah they're 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 going to be doing start. They're not going to be uh, playing most of the starters this week, uh, so there might be a chance for a few other people to try and step up into the lineup at that stage. But um, yeah, overall, good win. Happy to get it done. It kind of nearly brings the series to parity now uh, between Cincinnati and Kansas City. And uh, yeah, onto onto the playoffs. They're locked into the third seed now. So, like like I said, resting starters and hoping to get themselves right for if things go well. Uh, Pat Mahomes first ever playoff road game um unless you want to count the you know super bowl that was a home game <laughs> uh yeah it's it's certainly the most unusual vintage of kansas city chiefs that we've seen in the mahomes era this is so unlike every other iteration that it it, it kind of did the, the eye test gets very confused for a while is this a good team is this a bad team does this team know what its strengths and its weaknesses are? And we've been going through this entire season wondering when this Chiefs team would do the thing that they've been doing for years past, which is to, to suddenly start clicking and everything, you know, they figured everything out and suddenly the offense is humming and Mahomes looks like Mahomes and 
they look like the best team in the, in the league and, and, and impossible to stop. And it hasn't happened this year. And now we're at a situation where it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. Uh, the the receiver op problems are still problems. The the offense still looks undynamic. They've got a uh, they're being carried to a certain extent by an elite defense, which is something that they've never had before. Uh, and I'm wondering if maybe instead of looking these, at these as deficiencies, maybe and maybe Andy Reid himself has been to, to take a turn on this, and maybe this is what this entire second half of this game was about, is being to understand that this maybe is the way forward, that you don't have an explosive offense. And as Roland has talked about, we're in a, entering into an era of NFL football where nobody has that an explosive an offense. So maybe there's time to find a different way to win things. And maybe the Kansas City plan now is to is to you know manage the game, manage the clock, use Pacheco and your other run game options to, to control the dynamic of the game, uh, rely on Mahomes to do magic bullshit stuff every once in a while, but don't make it a thing. Like the thing with Mahomes is it feels like at the moment, either their option is to just rely on him doing Mahomes things on literally every play, which is, you know, too much to expect even for a talent, uh, like Pat Mahomes, or to just be like, we have him in the back pocket. He will do occasionally some magic third down stuff, but we should not at all rely on Pat Mahomes to win us games. We should rely on the defense to keep the score down. We should rely on the run game to get the ball down the field and control the clock, and then rely on Mahomes to be like the, the sprinkle on top. And maybe that is a formula. That is a formula for not particularly exciting games to watch, and certainly if, they, if they're going to grind their way through the postseason it's it's not going to be the most enjoyable you know series of games for the neutral to to watch but it does feel like maybe that is a path to success that if they get into this zone where the defense is playing really well and the run game is doing really well and the chiefs have control of the of the scoreboard essentially and the clock and they have Mahomes as you know as the extra option that becomes a very difficult thing to beat right you kind of have to be really on your game to beat it and it's difficult to think of anyone in the AFC who could maybe you rely be relied upon to 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 overcome that kind of strategy other than the ravens i don't think that that would be they the ravens just have far too much going on offensively to be able to rely on a defense to shut them down but i think the chiefs could probably if they play that way could probably take out most teams in the afc and in a you know in a in a small number of scenarios you know 15% of scenarios they could grind their way to another super bowl win uh, even though it would be ugly uh, and it would certainly be the least Kansas City way to do it but it certainly feels like if they have figured things out and they do have a formula for success that is what the formula is and as it showed in this game it can work against teams of a certain quality you can grind your way to you know six field goal kind of victories uh if needs be but uh don't expect the explosive, you know, magical Kansas City Chiefs of years past to come back anytime soon. In terms of the Bengals, it's very hard to analyze because obviously it's, it's kind of a lost season. Uh, the team without Burrow is a clear step down. And I think we saw in this game both the, the skills and abilities of Browning, but also his limitations. Browning was really good at the start. Uh, looked like he had was going to cause a lot of problems for the Chiefs defense. But then the Chiefs adapted to the situation, shut him down. And he didn't have a counterpunch. And that's the thing they're missing. Burrow, you feel, always has the counterpunch. He always has the other way to beat you. He always has a way to, you know, grind out the drive that will get the ball down the field, that will, you know, be give him the option to throw to the, the game-winning touchdown to Jamar Chase. And Jake Browning just doesn't give you to that same environment. They were held scoreless, I think, in the last seven possessions of this game, which 
is not a good look for someone for someone like Jake Brown, and he was auditioning for uh, future success. So I think you're right. He's a he's probably a backup. I wouldn't want to see him as a starter because I don't think he has the talent to to you know to really turn a franchise around in, from the QB position. But in this kind of situation where you have the Bengals have in Joe Burrow a very talented but occasionally a little bit injury prone quarterback, having Browning as an option to step in, not for you know what we have here six or seven or eight weeks having him maybe step in for two or three weeks is not the worst situation not the not the worst environment mm-hmm. to be in so maybe that's the way forward for him so Bengals lost season hard to understand for the Chiefs yeah I'm very interested to see what his goals now because I'm starting to feel that maybe this is just a new kind of way to win and maybe they have found the, the answer in this game that we thought they were looking for Fingers crossed, buddy. Uh, as I say, uh, all games are important. Some are less important. Fitz loves those, so we're going to give them to him in the dump-off. Yes, the dump-off for week 17, and obviously a lot of important games here. Every game was relevant at some point. Uh, one ended up being irrelevant by the time it finished. Uh, but we'll start with New England at Buffalo. 21-27 to win for Buffalo. Buffalo keep their chances of winning the AFC East alive, alongside that Miami loss we talked about already. Uh, but it wasn't easy. Allen... Two touchdowns, but also interception. He nearly fumbled the ball in the fourth quarter. Just uh, the England defense in the last couple of weeks has really stepped up again. Uh, Belichick maybe putting together his mixtape for potential other teams, uh, maybe, uh, who may want to hire him as a, as a defensive guru, uh, as, uh, also as a head coach. Um, but uh, overall, they, they did enough. Like I think they also were comfortable enough that they get it done, but uh, not the easiest day in offense for Buffalo. Maybe some tape for other teams to take advantage of in the playoffs. As for uh, the New England offense, uh, it didn't have a great start, to be honest. They had four turnovers in the first half. Uh, three interceptions, including a pick six for Zappi. Um, but I think, you know, at least they stuck around. They fought hard. They kind of kept it within one score. Obviously, that's mostly towards the end. Uh, and, you know, like, they, they didn't collapse, which is, I suppose, more than you can say for some of those Mac Jones um, outings that they had. And Zappi has probably earned the right at least to be on the roster um, somewhere next year. Um, but, yeah, given all those mistakes, they just never really had a chance here. I think Buffalo also had an extra game if they needed it. But, uh, yeah, at least in the spirit being shown by New England as they, as they go towards the end of Belichick's career, question mark. Next up, uh, Vegas at Indianapolis, 2023. Uh, Vegas had a number of scores laid on to make this closer, but uh, Indianapolis mostly had this at hand. Um, they kind of grinded it out. They played solid, mistake-free football, obviously not giving that Pierce uh, defense a chance to have a huge impact on the game. Minshew with 2-2-4 and a touchdown. Um, they leaned on Taylor, who had over 100 yards and a touchdown. And, you know, Minshew had a couple of deep shots when they needed them, but very much just take what was given, nothing more. On the other hand, O'Connell, like the, the final stats are nearly 300 yards and two touchdowns, but most of that was in garbage time. Um, in the second half, they pivoted just throwing it at Devontae Adams, that worked quite well. You know, maybe they should have gone to that a bit earlier, I would imagine, but because uh, he's pretty good. Uh, but you know, overall, they got too big of a hole, they couldn't get it done, and you know, despite the second half improvement, the offense is going to be a major consideration whether they keep Pierce or not. Next up, Tennessee Houston, 3 to 26. Cedar Strike comes back, and Houston absolutely dominates uh, Tennessee. Uh, you know, Stroud, okay, 213 yards and a touchdown. I think, you know, once they went up early, they didn't really need to go too much exciting, but he looked like Stroud, effectively, so that's mostly what you want to do. Uh, with Singletary and Collins being the two big playmakers on offense, it was 3 to 20 and a half, so basically over um, within the first 30. Levis out early with a strip sack uh, due to a strip sack injury. Um, Tannehill just he's so bad right now I wouldn't even rate him as a as a backup nearly at this point but uh, yeah Henry was stuffed again and so that's two games where Houston have banished the uh, ghost of Derrick Henry and held up to basically nothing um, good times for them as they move on to a playoff tilt against Indianapolis in week 18. Carolina Jacksonville 0 to 26 Jacksonville's kind of free fall stops as they face the worst team in the NFL as Carolina secure the number one overall pick oh sorry that's going into Chicago oh cry cry me a river um 
Jacksonville, look, Bethard was in there because Lawrence was finally too injured to play. He was solid. He didn't make any mistakes. He just moved the ball against an awful team. Um, Etienne took advantage of this poor Carolina run defense. He had 118 yards and two touchdowns and just ground it down, took their field goals and just uh, the score slowly got away from Carolina who I think due to having some um, special teams injuries, a field goal injury, field goal kicker injuries, um, were going down fourth down a lot in this game. Young, just another horrible game from 112 yards interception sacked brutally multiple times six sacks overall he was actually went out went out early in this game for a period because he was sacked by three guys at once they're held at under 200 yards overall on offense just absolutely awful like the the biggest thing coming out for Carolina this game was a uh, uh, video footage of the owner Tepper throwing a drink at a Jacksonville fan um, who was making some fun of him and um, he got fined 300,000 for that which sounds like a lot but that's like less than like a thousandth of percent of his total wealth so I'm sure he'll be very humbled by that experience Next up, Pittsburgh at Seattle, 30-23. Pittsburgh keep their playoff home hopes alive and, of course, secure a winning record for Mike Tomlin. Um, obviously, the universe is requiring that every year, otherwise it's going to implode, as Emma Ryan keeps saying. Um, and in this case, they just had to lean on um, Harris and Warren, the running back tandem, to absolutely eviscerate this awful Seattle run defense. And that set up Rudolph to have his big shots to Pickens, um, who also was uh, over 100 yards, and Johnson made some big plays as well early on. Gino wasn't the problem here, he was doing the best that he could against some pretty consistent pressure. 290 yards, a touchdown, he did have a fumble at a key point in the fourth quarter, to kind of, that's when the game kind of slipped away from Seattle, and they had a late score to make this a one-score game, it was, it was, it was bigger than that at the end. Um, but yeah, uh, given how much the defense was giving away, um, there was only so much he could do, and uh, in the end, the dam broke, and, and Pittsburgh get their big win. Seattle now uh, <coughs> are dependent on the results to secure a playoff spot. Green and that's a playoff spot obviously is now in the hands of Green Bay. 33-10 win over Minnesota on Sunday Night Football. Um, they just absolutely eviscerated Minnesota here. Love had a great game, four touchdowns, um, despite the fact that they were kind of playing with makeshift weapons due to all the injuries they have in the offense. Uh, with Bo Melton being their leading receiver, 105 yards. Thankfully, Aaron Jones has come back and been an anchor for the offense, over 130 yards here. As for Minnesota's offense, basically non-existent. The rookie Jaron Hall was given the start position. He gave away ball. He gave away the ball twice. Had 71 yards. Was pulled at the half. Mullins came in and kind of steadied the ship, but they were already down by 20 points at that point, so it was never going to be enough. Um, Green Bay's defense, which has been a major weakness, finally had a good game. Let's see if they can do it again uh, in Week 18 if they can secure a playoff spot. Minnesota uh, playoff spot hanging by a thread. New Orleans at Tampa Bay, 23-13. Ah, oh, Sean, you're right. We were all right, of course. Tampa Bay with a chance to win the NFC side decided to bring it all the way to week 18 and they were absolutely dominated here to be honest like Carr diced up the Tampa Bay defense 197 yards and two touchdowns with Juwan Johnson leading the way with 90 yards and Kamara this is like the fact Kamara went out early it didn't make any difference I, I believe the backup uh, Williams had a really nice day for most of the game as well Baker two interceptions he kind of buffered his stats at the end ended up with 309 and two touchdowns but that was all in well into garbage time didn't have a single point up the middle of the fourth quarter even White who's been really good recently struggled here 68 yards with a fumble Oh, Tampa Bay, so disappointing. Hopefully they can turn around against Carolina next week because uh, i still rather see them than New Orleans in the playoffs. Next up, Atlanta, Chicago, 17-37. We Want Fields rings out at, at Soldier Field um, as uh, the Chicago fans are making it clear who they want to keep as quarterback. As Fields has another great game, 260 yards, a touchdown, plus 45 yards and a touchdown. Touchdown rushing the ball. Um, he was flourishing in tough conditions. It was snowing quite heavily, especially early on in this game, but he was making pinpoint passes to DJ Moore in particular. 129 yards and a touchdown with Khalil Herbert, the running back, kind of grinding things out in the second half. 129 yards and a touchdown. Atlanta's defense, which it sometimes has looked good, was just awful in this game. Heineke 
pretty bad, like pretty terrible to be honest. 209 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, most of that production made in garbage time, and, and 75 yards of his production coming off a screen past the ledger that he took to the house. Um, yeah, and even Koo was having a bad day, albeit obviously in tough conditions, one out of three. So Atlanta are still technically live. I hate it, but they are. Uh, but I think I have seen enough to not want to see them, but to definitely see more of Justin Fields next season. Next up, San Francisco at Washington, 27 to 10. Uh, pretty routine for San Francisco. Washington were a little bit more competitive in the first half, but they slowly fell away. Um, Purdy, pretty good. 230 and two touchdowns, but CMC and Elijah Mitchell kind of combination blew them away alongside Ayuk making the big plays, including a touchdown over 100 yards as well. Howell, you know, brought in at short notice because Brissett was name starter, but then had the injury. Um, really struggled, especially in the second half. He actually had a nice start, but second half just all fell apart. Just classic Howell situation this year. Big changes coming from Washington. We'll see if Howell is part of the future of that team. Jets at Cleveland, 20-37, Thursday Night Football. Uh, the Cleveland Browns secured their uh, playoff spot with a dominant victory over the Jets, at least in the first half. Flacco, three touchdowns, though he did draw pick six as well. Um, and he just absolutely destroyed what's supposed to be a good Jets defense overall. Njoku led the attack with Cooper out, 125 yards, um, and they had a 17-34 lead, and then the second half basically didn't happen. Nothing happened in the second half. Joe Flacco was on, on, on the sideline taking a little nap, basically. So, uh, you know, basically a first-half game that, that the Cleveland uh, Browns dominated, and that was enough. Simeon, bad as usual, 261 yards, and a touchdown interception. You know, uh, you know the, the Cleveland were giving them many, many opportunities in this game with turnovers and stuff like that. But outside of Brees Hall, who had 150 yards of touchdown, basically nothing happening. And the Jets, you know, just playing at the string at this point. We'll see where they are um, when Rodgers comes back next year. And finally, it turned out to be a dead rubber after Kansas City won their game and eliminated Denver. 9-16 win for Denver. Uh, it was very, very boring, very, very dump-off, like, you know, uh, Stidham came in, obviously, for the bench Russell Wilson, and was very middling, he looked like a guy who hadn't played in a year, 2-2-4 a touchdown, but a lot of that came off, uh, a lot of yak from the Humphrey, uh, little Jordan Humphrey touchdown, um, where he kind of took it for 50 yards himself, um, just, he looked like a guy, fairly inaccurate, fairly conservative, doesn't look like a, a starting quarterback, but maybe a guy who compete. Uh, on the other hand, the Chargers have at least been playing harder since Staley was fired. He led a very makeshift attack with a bunch of guys out. Stick, um, but ultimately, you know, their gaffes—they missed the field goal, they fumbled the ball away—meant that there wasn't enough in the tank to get it done here. So that's the end of the dump off for week 17. Talk to you for one final time next week. Okay, so just before we get into the picks, we'll give you a quick rundown of what the playoff permutations are and basically what's what's at stake this week. So in the AFC, what we know is Baltimore have locked in the number one seed and they're the AFC North winner. KC have the three seed and the AFC West winner. And Miami and Cleveland are both in the playoffs regardless of what happens. So what's up for grabs? AFC East is up for grabs in Sunday Night Football. Buffalo uh, are at Miami. The winner of that wins the AFC East. The AFC South is up for grabs. Jacksonville will win it if they beat Tennessee. Otherwise, the winner of Houston at Indianapolis will win the AFC South. And in the wild cards, we've got Cleveland locked into one of the wild cards, either five or six. And Miami, if they lose to Buffalo, are going to take uh, the other wild, uh, one of the other wild card spots. So, the winner of Houston and Indianapolis are guaranteed to either win the AFC South or get a wild card. So one of those teams is in. Buffalo will be eliminated if they lose and Pittsburgh and Jacksonville win. Otherwise, they can get a wild card spot. So if they lose, they've still got a shot to get a wild card spot, but they can't have Pittsburgh and Jacksonville win. Yeah. Jacksonville, and they will know because they they'll be on Sunday Night Yeah, football. they're on Sunday Night Football, so they'll know what their situation is going into the game. Jacksonville are eliminated if they lose and Pittsburgh win. Uh, so it's baffling to me that this Pittsburgh team is actually in the running. It's just a 
bizarre. Pittsburgh uh, are in if they win and if Jacksonville or Buffalo lose. So they need either Jacksonville or Buffalo to lose and themselves to win to be able to get in. And if Pittsburgh and Jacksonville both lose, then the Denver match decides who's going to get in. Uh, So if Denver win, Pittsburgh will get in. If Denver lose, Jacksonville will get in. That's a little bit of a fiddly reasoning. We won't get into it. Basically, I think yeah, you've got to include the fun things. You got to include the fun. Stuff. It's true. It's it's it's, so, it's somewhat somewhat unlikely. We will say, but you know, it's it's there as a potential. Uh, on the NFC side, what we know is San Francisco have the number one seed. Detroit uh, can win the NFC North. Uh, they sorry, they've won the NFC North, and Dallas, Philly, and the Rams are all in the playoffs. So what's up for grabs is the NFC East. Dallas can win if they uh, equal or better result in Philly. And the other team is going to get the number five seed, right? So that means if they both win or if they both draw, uh, Dallas are going to get it. Or if they both lose, I think, right? So yeah, yeah. So pretty much, they basically they, they they are do as good as as the Eagles, and they take the division, and the Eagles take the uh, five seed. The NFC South is up for grabs. Tampa Bay can take it if they win uh, over Carolina. Otherwise, the winner of Atlanta, New Orleans, will take it. And uh, the wild card, one of Dallas or Philly, whichever one you know finishes up there and the la rams will be a wild card so we've got green bay looking for it so they get the wild card if they win or if you get seattle minnesota and tampa bay or new orleans lose seattle uh need to win and they need a green bay loss for them to get a green a wild card spot if green bay and seattle lose and if tampa bay wins then new orleans can get the wild card if they win uh, Atlanta can't get the wild card in this spot. Thank God. Thank God. And uh, <laughs> and Minnesota need to win, and they need a Seattle and a Green Bay loss, and a loss for either New Orleans or Tampa Bay. So that's kind of a very messy route for them in, but there is still a route in for them. Um, and I think the only other bit is just that the number one draft pick has been locked up for Chicago. Hence, as you were mentioning in the dump off there, the uh, you know the we want Fields kind of stuff. So they're kind of struggling with what they'll do with that number one seed at this stage. Um, so that's the permutations. We'll talk about them in the games and that, but we just thought we get that out of the way first. So we start Saturday football. Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore presumably going to be resting a lot of starters. It's Pittsburgh. been confirmed. It's yeah. confirmed. Lamar, so, at least, is definitely not playing. Yeah. So the question is, like, why, you get to see a lump of the backups, you get to see Huntley and the likes, and how will they fare? Can any of them play their way into maybe getting a little bit more playing time in the playoffs? Pittsburgh need a win to kind of keep themselves playoff relevant, but as we said, that doesn't guarantee anything for them. Um, like, Rudolph has looked better for them. Uh, they do have Pickett is no longer injured, so he's there as a backup if it's not going well for them. But, like... Against backups, you'd expect this Pittsburgh team to be able to take the win, and we've all gone for Pittsburgh here. Yeah, I think if you're playing backups, you expect the win, and Pittsburgh obviously are highly motivated since they get a win here. They have two backdoor options to get into the playoffs. Um, that they'll, they'll obviously watch closely the Jacksonville and Buffalo games. Um, I think you know Baltimore are a good team. They they have you know a lot of players who they've rotated over the year over over the course of the year. So you imagine they'd have decent backups, but without Lamar Jackson. You know, you'd wonder how much uh, "quote unquote" pro bowler uh, Snoop Huntley can do against the Pittsburgh defense, which I haven't say has really lived up to its reputation recently, but which has enough quality to imagine they can get pressure and get stuff done. Um, I think really, unless Pittsburgh defense really just implodes in itself, which is definitely a possibility, then I think Pittsburgh should get this pretty comfortably. Um, and they're obviously done enough, I think, on the offense. But like, if 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 Pittsburgh's offense does struggle, then um, Mike McDonald's like reputation as the coordinator of the year as of that Baltimore defense will be buffered even more by that. But you know, backups versus first team, you expect Pittsburgh to get it done. Yeah, the 
the weird, the weird, weird. I I don't understand how Mason Rudolph is suddenly so good, but the weird stat that comes out is that the using EPA, which is uh, expected points added, which is one of the fancy NFL stats. Uh, the Steelers are basically one of the worst offenses in the league with, before Rudolph came in, and now they're like the third best offense, basically, by this advanced metric. So I don't, the Mason Rudolph thing I don't understand, but apparently he works quite well in this offense, uh, and given that, you would expect them to, to, I think it'll be closer though, I think the Ravens are, because they're well coached and, you know, they'll have a good scheme and it's a divisional thing, so they'll have some answers for the Steelers. I think they could be a bit of a grind. But yeah, given the the starters versus backups, you have to expect the Steelers will just yeah. about get over the line. I, I think the Rudolph thing is mostly, or like a large part, is that he's actually able and willing to throw the ball downfield, especially yeah. to George Pickens, and that's opened up things for what I, I think has always been a pretty effective run game, but the other two quarterbacks were so ineffective as passers that other teams were just shutting that down. Uh, but Baltimore, I suppose, if they're well-coached enough, will know what they're doing, and if they can shut down Pickens, or at least keep him quiet, because he's not exactly someone who fights through the pain, as it were, um, then, you know, they could get into the kind of grind fest that we saw for Pittsburgh for most of this season. Yeah. Uh, an unfortunate bit of scheduling. The very important game on Saturday is very late for us here. So Houston at Indianapolis. We've gone for Houston across the board. This is a win-and-in game for both teams. Stroud is back. Uh, he was back last week. So the question is, what will they look like? They didn't really get pushed last week, uh, whereas I think this Indianapolis team will probably push them a bit more. Minshew has been playing fairly well for them, a bit mistake-free for the last while, which is quite important and the return of Taylor to the run game is helping them and this is a Houston defense that has had a couple of games where they've stepped up recently but is quite young and has made mistakes and stuff like that so this is quite an exciting game uh, like we'll go, I think we're all going with our heart of we kind of want Houston in but I could definitely see Indianapolis taking this for sure like Indianapolis have been you know very much outperforming, I suppose, our expectations, especially once they lost the uh, Anthony Richardson X factor. You know, I think Shane Steichen has shown that he's a quality coach who can get a lot from very little on the offense. And I think Indianapolis' offense is basically at full health. There, I think there are some concerns over Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson on the offensive line, but outside that, you know, they'll have Michael Pittman, they'll have Jonathan Taylor, Minshew. Um, well, obviously, it looks like he's fully healthy, and they're going at the young Houston defense, which I think has shown flashes of the. I think what will in the future future under Ryan's be a really elite defense but which still has those vulnerabilities of having so many young players all around and they may be missing a number of players alongside the defensive line which will make maybe perhaps make life easier for Minshew um I don't I you know I think we're all picking Houston because we all love CJ Stroud and CJ Stroud came back last week and he looked like CJ Stroud he didn't have to do too much because they were playing Tennessee and they were up early but I think you saw enough of the flashes and to get it done but he is playing suddenly in an offense that has many much fewer of the kind of weapons that he had um, at the point at which they were absolutely dominating in the middle of the season. Obviously, Tank Dell's done for the season. They're going to possibly going to be missing Noah Brand in this game. Robert Woods won't be playing. So, you know, Nico Collins is still there. Singletary is still there. So, they still have weapons. But it's, I think they're, you know, we're really trusting that CJ Stratt is so much better. And he's so fun. And we really want to see in the playoffs that he can just pull this offense into being a dynamic uh point making machine in this game and get it done and against Indianapolis defense which isn't really that good you could certainly see that happening but yeah I think this is a this is a very close game but I think we're all on the CJ Stroud train and we're willing to give them the the edge here to get it done and get the playoff spot but uh yeah Indianapolis I think they you know, on balance I wouldn't mind seeing them in the playoffs but we do know that their ceiling you know is capped by the fact that yeah. you know it's, it's Minshew and co they're not going to do that much in the playoffs you feel whereas CJ Stroud you never know when you have someone that dynamic uh, at quarterback yeah, this is 100% a faith pick. It is, is we believe in Stroud. Because uh, the Colts are a lot better than anybody, I think, is willing to admit, even. 
um, and certainly on paper they're going to cause some problems and the, the Texans deficiencies in terms of injuries at, at the receiving core are going to cause some tr- problems but yeah I, I it's I, basically it's, it's like you said I want to see Stroud in the playoffs I want to see what this guy can do in the biggest stage I'm not that interested in seeing this Colts team play another game to be honest uh, and therefore uh, I'm going to back the guy the magical guy to do his magic basically Yep, makes sense. On to Sunday, the early games. Jacksonville at Tennessee. We've gone for Jacksonville across the board. Jacksonville are obviously playing here for the AFC South. We might see CJ Beathard again, but Lawrence is back practicing in limited capacity, so it looks like he's trending towards playing for this one. Uh, Levis, we don't know if he's going to be playing on the other side, but this is a Tennessee game that team that's not really been up to any great shakes we just discussed them there in the last one they are kind of you know they're just playing out the the tail end of a of a very dead season um so even if it's bethard in uh, i'm going jacksonville here yeah like i think it's a, it's a game that we're willing to kind of edge jacksonville based on just what happened last week jacksonville grinded it out versus carolina tennessee had a a pretty horrible collapse against houston albeit on the road i think but i i think there, you know there's definitely more in this game than just jacksonville are easily going to walk it obviously lawrence ever since he's picked up all those injuries his mechanics have been way off and i think you know against a, a tennessee defense that's coached by mike vrabel if he does that enough times they probably do have the the kind of coaching at least to take advantage of it even if their their you know actual personnel is a bit banged up at this point uh, missing guys like Simmons and so on and on the other hand like Jacksonville's defense has played well at times this year you know sometimes it's looked like a really good defense but other times it just seems to collapse for whatever reason now if Ryan and Tannehill starts like it's going to be very hard to pick Tennessee um, and obviously an injured Levis you'd have concerns about his mechanics as well um, but Tennessee at home tend to be a much tougher game than they are away from home um, so I wouldn't guarantee this for Jacksonville but yeah certainly you know if they lose this then then it's going to be pretty bad times for jacksonville overall but uh yeah and given where tennessee are at the quarter position they should get it done but just, just keep an eye out like mike Vrabel, tennessee at home they always have a habit of just being absolutely dickheads to any team that comes in expecting a win easily yeah this is going to be an ugly game i, I have no expectation that this is going to be enjoyable to watch at all it's going to be like a 13-9 kind of grinded out kind of situation because the Jags offensively, even if Lawrence is back in, he's not going to be 100%. This offense is still at, kind of the flatter to deceive in the early weeks and has kind of gone off a cliff a little bit recently and hasn't got his groove at all offensively. Tennessee are a well-coached team on the defensive side and grind it down on that side. Then the other side of the ball, you've got a, a Titans offense that doesn't really know what it is. Even with Levis in there, it's 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 the best. Levis in there is the best option that they have, but it's still not particularly fantastic. Obviously, uh, Henry is well past his best. Tannehill is well past, if you, if you could even call it his best, he's well past whatever level he was able to reach uh, two or three years ago. Uh, and the Jags' defense is up and down. Sometimes they look good. Sometimes they look like they are just horribly coached and do incredibly stupid things. They're not aggressive enough or they're too aggressive and they never seem to get the right formula right. So it's going to be messy on that side with a bad offense against a middling defense. And on the other side, you've got a underperforming offense against what could be a tough defense. So I just don't expect too many points. I, I think the Jags will grind it out because it means more to them. So they'll play right to the end because they have to win basically, but it's going to be an ugly, ugly game. Yeah. Next up, we have Tampa Bay, Carolina. We've gone for Tampa Bay across the board. Tampa Bay need the win to get into the playoffs. Uh, obviously, there's some questions because Baker injured his ribs whether he'll be playing, but I would expect he will if at all possible. Um, they were not great last week, but they kind of need to round into form here against what is, frankly, an abysmal Carolina team. Um, 
the hope for Caroline is that like they've looked a little bit better, although they completely shit the bed last week. They want Young to finish the year on a positive note, be able to move forward a little bit. Uh, <laughs> maybe don't have your owner in the in, in attendance at the game, given he just got fined three hundred thousand dollars for throwing drinks at fans. Um, but yeah, I, Carolina are a complete dead rubber. Tampa Bay need this. Uh, even at Carolina, I gotta imagine that they're going to be able to get this one done. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Please, Tampa Bay, don't blow this. Don't let Atlanta into the fucking playoffs or New Orleans, who are like the mid option, uh, basically. And that's mid both in being middling and bad in uh, both senses. <laughs> uh, but Tampa Bay, look, Baker Mayfield went injured. There's been some pretty bad precedent and when he's injured and he tries to play through the pain that his mechanics take a deep dive off the end of the mm. world and he turns into a really bad quarterback who turns the ball over. And Carolina's defence, while obviously had a pretty tough day last week, um, albeit they managed to mostly keep your field the field goals, has overall been not the problem, we'll say, which for that team is pretty much good. Um, and you just don't, just, and especially if Kyle Trask comes in, just don't give Carolina short fields. Don't give Carolina easy opportunities. Look, this is probably going to be more of a grind of a game than if Baker was fully healthy and if they were full, full 100%. Uh, but just don't give them opportunities because the Carolina offense is insipid. It's terrible. Bryce Young, obviously, one last chance for people to see some flash of potential um, and some hope for the future, basically, for a team that feels like it's in the worst situation possible um, with, obviously, the worst record in the league and, and, no, and the number one overall pick going to someone else. Um, but, you know... I've seen enough. I think Young, based on what's currently put around him, basically is completely fucked, basically. And I think Tampa Bay's defense, while it hasn't been that impressive and has actually given up a lot of points, I think they have enough quality players smattered around that they'll get their, their licks in, they'll get their sacks, they'll get hopefully a turnover or two, and they'll get it done. But this game feels a lot more iffy than it should be, um, just based on the injuries and based on what we saw last week from, from, from Tampa Bay. Yeah, the, the only... The NFC South has been such a grind to watch this year. The only redeeming factor is if the one team we actually want to watch in the playoffs manages to clamber above the, the soup of despair uh, and get in there. And if the Bucks can't beat the literally the worst team in the NFL, I mean, it's just... Even with an injured Baker, this should be a win uh, comfortable enough. They have they have enough remnants of talents from the, 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 the good team that they were a few years ago that they should be able to grind this out. But they, they shouldn't be in this spot in the first place but now that they are they morally they just have to win for, for the for the sake of all the fans <laughs> uh, both neutral and Tampa Bay fans should they morally not win the next game becomes a winning in between Atlanta and New Orleans uh, myself and Sean have gone for Atlanta Ron has gone for New Orleans uh, New Orleans I'm shaking my head I'm shaking my head no please uh, so New Orleans offense found a little bit of momentum last week Carl looked a little bit better they're still shit like uh, <laughs> slightly better Atlanta looked a little bit better with Heidekin they do still have the they do still have the, the the quality of player. It's just that their decision maker is a moron, um, so they kind of are rarely put in the position to succeed the way that their that their roster should. Um, so yeah, uh, a bit of a bit of a boring game. It it could be exciting if if we see this if they'll be scoreboard watching and if Carolina are ahead of Tampa Bay, these guys will be going all out, uh, all all out at each other. Well. Um, but I think they'll be going all out either way. Like this is this is a rivalry that's you know low key one of the most hated in in the league. Like neither of these teams like each other, and I think it's both teams where pretty much everyone on that roster and in the coaching staff is also playing for this job. This definitely has the feeling of a game that there, the loser, there's a chance that this is a this is a like loser goes home for the coaches. 
Yeah, and obviously a lot of players and quarterbacks have a similar position as well. So like New Orleans, like look, Derek Carr uh, is playing to kind of keep his job. I would say like I think the contract kind of makes it hard to get out next year. But you know whether they it's builders away yeah. and. You know, New Orleans aren't beyond uh, manipulating the, the cap as they need to, to make things work. Um, and in recent weeks, I think we have seen the better version of Derek Carr. Um, not always, but I think uh, you've seen enough of it that you kind of go, okay, I think they can at least move the ball down, score like 20-ish points, and make this at least into, their, in that case, probably a likely contest. And their defense has kind of flattered to deceive during the back half of the end of the season, but they are still a defense with a lot of quality players, and they're obviously going against a, a quarterback in Heineke that you wouldn't consider to be most consistent in, in addition I believe Heineke is carrying a knock he, I think he's expected to play but you know may not be 100% and obviously Ritter himself is, is a big question mark if he, he's brought in at some point and on the offense Atlanta who the fuck knows like any given week are we going to use Bijan this week I don't know are we going to use uh, Drake London Kyle Pitts whatever maybe it's a Tylee Allegi week maybe it's a Cordell Patterson week who the fuck knows and obviously that's a problem with Atlanta it's very hard to predict any given game with them especially against an equally iffy opponent like New Orleans but I feel like a New Orleans have at least a more consistent reliable identity whereas Atlanta just feel like a flailing octopus of, of madness effectively um, and you know obviously we hope that this game won't matter because uh, Tampa Bay will kick our business but yeah obviously one of these teams has a chance of making it New Orleans have a, a wild card backup as well potentially um, but yeah neither how do you predict a game like this it's just classic NFC side but yeah, yeah the worst case scenario the worst world is Atlanta win Tampa Bay lose all of the NFC side is below 500 and Atlanta somehow make the playoffs please don't let that happen well, I mean, if we can't have Tampa Bay, I would much rather watch the random number generator that it is the Atlanta Falcons than to watch I agree. the incredible mid-off. I do not agree. Yeah, but you're wrong, Ronan. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> At least there's a chance that Bijan will do something in, in the wild card as opposed to whatever the Terry Carr and the Saints cook up in Boring Town. Uh, yeah, no. No. Gotta oh. go for the Falcons here. Awful stuff. Uh, Minnesota taking on Detroit. Uh, Nick Mullins is going to be in a quarterback uh, with the hope of them getting a, a playoff shot. But yeah, look, this is a, this is a free falling Minnesota team. There's nothing of quality here. Detroit are like they're essentially locked in to where they are. There's an outside shot at the number two seed, but that would need. Uh, Philly and Dallas to lose and they're playing Washington and the Giants and we'll come to them in a little bit so probably very much a spot where they might start pulling starters early so I think that gives Minnesota a slight chance but like Detroit are the better team particularly if they're playing their starters even for a half uh, like Minnesota were abysmal last week they've not been great for a little while um, yeah Campbell says they'll play but he's not that stupid right I don't know I don't know <laughs> Uh, I think I, th- I think he very much particularly actually even if I think if they're doing really well he might even be more incentivized to leave them in because he wants to like build momentum going into the playoffs uh, I could definitely see that don't, happening don't don't stale yourself alright anyway moving yeah. on uh, moving on Ronan Cleveland at Cincinnati me and Ronan have gone for Cincy and Sean's gone for Cleveland yeah, look, Cleveland will be playing no starters. They've already confirmed Flacco's out and Cooper will be out and Joku will probably be out. So they'll have very little on offense going. Their defense, Miles Garrett will be gone, Joke, JOK, Denzel Ward. So I imagine none of those will be playing. So Cleveland are already pretty thin because they've had a lot of changeover in their respective sides already this year. So if you get to the, the backups of the backups in many cases, I, I don't expect much. And Cincinnati, look, Jake Browning and Cincinnati have played solid, you know, Bray, you know, I'd say, you know, 
commendable football down the stretch we'll say obviously not playing for anything here uh, which means that they will be playing everyone I imagine and Browning obviously playing for a chance to potentially pick up a starting quarterback role somewhere in the offseason or at least a high-end backup role um, coming off a fairly uh, basically nothing contract in free agency this year so he'll be motivated I think Cincinnati get over a rival who'll be playing nobody and they get it done. Uh, Jets are traveling up to New England Sean we've gone for New England across the board on the zappy hype train? Uh, no uh this is it looks like it may be the belichick swan song and what better than not quite a jets belichick revenge game but more the belichick spite game he he loves getting one over on the jets um obviously new england's offensively uh they're a tiny bit better under the zappy but i i'm willing to to cash out and bring in the rookie whoever they managed to draft there. They seem to be progressively moving down the draft order with every week, though, so who knows who will be available by the that's time. A, that's a real Bill Belichick spite move on the way out. He's making sure that the next person <laughs> doesn't get the, the top pick. It would be. It would be classic Belichick, yeah. Um, in terms of how this game will go, I mean, the big thing is that it's likely to be Simeon uh, at quarterback for the Jets. Um, if it's Zach Wilson, I mean... Belichick has notoriously cooked Zach Wilson multiple times. Simeon's not much better. There's just so little going on offensively for the Jets, and New England are a very good team on the defensive side at punishing bad teams' mistakes. I think they're just going to murder them on that side of the ball. Then Zappi will do just enough to win. Uh, it won't be an enjoyable game. Uh, apparently, even the the Pats fans, even though the likelihood is this is Belichick's last game, the game isn't a sellout. Like, Pats fans aren't even bothering to say goodbye to this guy who won them six Super Bowls, which is kind of sad, I have to say. Uh, but yeah, end of an era, I, I suspect. But I'm interested in seeing Belichick ramp up to, to Los Angeles next year to, to bring some life back into the Chargers. Ooh, I think reports, <laughs> sorry, reports indicate that Wilson is still in concussion protocol, so it's almost certainly Simeon in this game. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, into the late window, Dallas traveling up to take on the Washington Commanders. Uh, yeah, we've gone for Dallas across the board in this one. Dak should be able to blow up this Washington defense. They have been a little bit better recently, but not great. Uh, that would obviously lock them in, because if they win, then it doesn't really matter what Philly do. On the other side of the ball, Washington are messy. How is going to be at quarterback? They're basically just trying to justify their positions because this is like this is a dead man walking game like there's no way that riverboat ron uh, isn't fired at the end of the season so i think these guys are basically just auditioning for whoever is coming in after him or if they're going to be released whenever they hit the free agency show off what they can do so there will be motivation to play well from the washington side but it's a bit of a bit of a disarray to be honest i can't even with the splits that dallas have away versus home and the fact that it's a divisional game you can't really see past dallas in this one yeah, it would be classic Dallas though to finally be in a position to get the number two seed in a and get multiple home games in a stadium where you're winning an awful lot, and all you have to do is to beat the Commanders. And it would be very Cowboys if they failed. But yeah. Surely not. Surely not. Surely they got enough on both sides of the ball to to beat a very uninteresting command Commanders side. The Commanders think of the worst division, worst defense in the league, and not much better offensively. There's surely nothing there. But I yeah. It would be it would be incredibly Dallas, but surely they can't screw this one up. Yeah, like there's no reason to believe that the Commanders will win this game. Like there's no reason to believe that Sam Howell is suddenly gonna show to, some of the uh, stuff he did. Take command. 
yeah, like, yeah, the, the command is over, you know, the Pentagon has fallen, it's all done uh, for Riverboat Ron, that the boat has been pushed into the river, the, the, the flaming arrows have been sent in as he's given the Viking funeral. Uh, yeah, uh, so, yeah, it's basically over. I think the only thing to keep an eye on for Washington is that they're in a really tight um, tiebreaker situation with the Patriots, which I think will come down to what happens in another game in terms of strength of schedule and stuff like that, but uh, basically it's it's a weird one for them, uh, but uh, I think New England currently slightly favoured, if I recall correctly, uh, but yeah, for, they're playing for nothing and Riverboro Ron is done, and yeah, for, for Dak, just give it to CD Dam, let him do his stuff against a, a bad Washington defence yeah. and, and let it ride out and get that NFC title that I imagine so far away recently. I imagine their target is going to be like, just try and put up a boatload of points as early as possible and start pulling starters if they can, um, and have them there to drop them back in if needs be, but yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they don't. They, they don't want to like get the two seed and then have Dak on crutches or whatever. It wouldn't be the the best look for them. Next up, Philly take on the Giants. We've gone for Philly across the board. Uh, they'll obviously be keeping an eye out on what's happening in the Dallas game, but yeah, like Philly are in free fall, but the Giants are not really in a great spot to make the most of that. Tyrod's going to be in at quarterback for them, which is probably the best option that they have at the moment. But you know, there's. There's a lot of questions in New York about what the direction of this team is. I think they've come out and publicly said that the that the management and stuff are safe for next year, which means, you know, people will want to show up, play in the scheme, prove their value and all that kind of stuff. But I also I I never fully trust ownership whenever they say that kind of stuff. So I think you know, Dayball's gonna want to take a bit of a scalp here if he can and they'll they'll push them hard. And Philadelphia are vulnerable like we said they're just their defense is all over the shop at the moment and there are players on new york that could make the most of that if they like, you know waller's back from injury like make just, just start taking it to that weak linebacker core start going over the middle to them and stuff but um like realistically philly should be able to pull this off and with the fact that there's still a chance of the division in hand they're gonna they're gonna put their all into this one so i'm gonna go philly yeah, like, like I would be tempted a little bit to pick the Giants here. I think uh, Philly, if Dallas are pulling it out early, maybe Philly start pulling starters. Also, the Giants have been playing, I'd say, a little bit better recently. They obviously just nearly beat the, the Rams there last week, uh, who are obviously in the playoffs. Uh, and I do think Dayball has shown a little bit more in recent weeks. And as I say, that Sean, I think, is, is switching to the Giants. Um, so uh, there's definitely reason to do that. But I do also think the Philly, given the, the tailspin that they are, probably will not want to go into the playoffs with a loss to the yeah. Giants, a division rival. So That's I think they'll like, be like you lose lose Arizona, lose to the Giants, and then like end up going and playing like Dallas so at home. If Philly have quality in the tank, and they obviously have quality players, they just haven't been putting together recently. If they have quality in the tank, then I think they will be motivated to take this Giants team to the cleaners and get it done, and at least enter the playoffs on a positive note. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not sure if they have that anymore. There are some people who just believe that they're just done. They're just too simple on offense and defense. They don't know what the next version of this team is. Um, so I'm going to favor Philly, but yeah, definitely the Giants have a chance, especially if Philly do. I suppose the the more, uh, I suppose. Uh, this the smarter, safer thing of pulling starters if Dallas are well ahead. Yeah, yeah. You guys have talked me into it. I'm going to go for the Giants. Partly, <laughs> I think also that I'm now two behind Ronan in the in the pick, so I got to start taking some gambles. <laughs> very good, um, very good. Uh, Chicago Green Bay's up next. I've gone for Green Bay. You boys have gone for Chicago. Green Bay are playing for a wild card spot. Uh, obviously, Love is looking to show a bit of progression here against the Chicago defense. It's really stepped it up in the last seven to eight weeks. Um, Fields is obviously as I've kind of I've kind of harped on this every 
single week since he came back from the injury. He's playing for his job. He's been playing really well. He's got the people behind him. He's got the locker room behind him. Um, and this would be kind of, particularly for like the salty Chicago fan, like to be able to come in here and play spoiler to your divisional rivals, the Packers, uh, would be a real big kind of feather in the crown for him. So um, I can see entirely why they'd want to do it. I think Green Bay... I, I, I've just got this feeling that they're going to sneak their way in here. Uh, they've got, you know, they've been getting improving play, although, you know, Reed is injured and stuff for them. We'll see what they can get going. Maybe Romeo Dubs has a bigger game because he's been quiet the last week or two. And the run game might be better with Dylan out and Jones just kind of taking the ball a little bit more. I don't know. It's 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 not a great offense, but I could see it getting it done. They're at home. It's going to be a big home crowd. It's going to be freezing cold weather. Um yeah, I think it'll be fun. And also, yeah. the Chicago team have been slightly giving them uh, bulletin board material. I think they said, oh, look, yeah, it's going to be interesting playing down there in Lambeau Field. It's always loud, but sure, there's nothing, there's fucking nothing else to do down there but watch football. It's a shithole. Essentially, it's what they've been telling the media. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. This should be a fun game, I think. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's going to be a fun game. Obviously, Chicago aren't playing for anything except for pride, but I think against a division rival and with a quarterback who's like, pick me, basically like make me your future quarterback give yeah. me the money show me the money i think they they have the uh fifth year option decision this year and they could give them the extension if they wanted to that doesn't seem very likely um that they have everything to play for and similar to detroit last year they're also you know let's ruin green bay streams you know the people who have basically tortured our franchise for the last two decades let's absolutely ruin their um post-Christmas period by yeah. taking away playoff football with the last gasp and you know Fields has been playing really well like I wouldn't say he's you know there's still weaknesses in his game um, particularly in terms of anticipation throws and stuff like that but playing vanilla Joe Barry's defence you expected he can get some production and he didn't have any problem with the cold and, and the wind and the snow last week in Soldier Field um, so I don't think that's going to be a big factor and as for Green Bay you know I think this is, this is the love game right if love can do it in, in Lambeau Field in week 18 uh, take down a Chicago defence which has been much improved recently ever since they traded for Montez Sweat it's been way better yeah. and like score a bunch of touchdowns with a bunch of like you know, young players um, but uh, they are missing Jaden Reed, they are missing possibly Christian Watson. Um, they've obviously been down there at the number one tight end for a number of times, so they really are playing with like fire to some extent what they have available. So this is a big game for Love, um, but it might be also be a game where if they can lean on Aaron Jones to get it done on the ground and kind of take away some of the sting from the Chicago yeah. defensive line, that could be huge for them. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just have a feeling that the Bears are in such a good place momentum-wise, and they seem to have gotten a nice groove and. There is there is a lot in the line. There is a hate. There is a rivalry slash hatred here. Obviously, the you know the Aaron Rodgers historically being the owner of the Bears, and now the owner has left, and maybe the Bears. The, it's time to play on time to play on Lambeau Field and have some fun. But yeah, they definitely won't go won't go out quietly. And I just don't trust the Packers enough to think that they'll be able to to hold back uh, the Bears' tide if they get into a groove. It's so, it's so nice to see you boys having come around to my way of thinking about the, the Bears for the last couple of weeks. Seattle and Arizona is up next. Myself and Sean have gone for Seattle. Ronan, the turncoat, once again, is picked against his own team and is going for Arizona. Seattle will obviously be watching the scoreboard because they need Green Bay to lose in that other game so they can keep their playoff hopes alive. Uh, they're going to try and keep the score ticking along, but they are pro- they probably should be able to. This is not a great Arizona defense. Uh, however, the Seattle run defense has not been very good, and what we've seen particularly last week from Arizona, is uh, James Conner just kind of getting to run away and then happy to lean on him and try and work on that. So 
look, we've got that in play. We've got Kyler kind of, he's, he's somewhat locked in, but I think he does need to continue to justify his, his, his paycheck and his position whenever they're going to be having high picks and options to move on and so on. So I think I'm back in Seattle to, to be able to keep the score up and to do enough on defense, although their defense hasn't been particularly good. Uh, and because I think the other one is going to be back and forth and going, I think they're going to be playing all the way through to the end. And like in, in my estimations, it's going to be a Pyrrhic victory because they're going to win. But unfortunately, Green Bay are going to win on my estimations. But uh, Sean has them making it because of, uh, because of the connotations. And you've just decided you hate your own team, Ronan. Yeah, like, look, I think this will be the, the, this pair of games, the Green Bay game and this game, will be great red zone fodder. I do get the sense that both these games, and particularly this game, are going to be a lot of scoring. I think the Seattle defense has been terrible the last few weeks, absolutely just terrible, uh, particularly in run defense. And we know Arizona are more than happy to just run it down your throat with James Conner, let Kyler Murray do a few, you know, pull the ball a few times, run himself. And, you know, there isn't really that much outside that in the passing attack. I think you saw a little bit more of Greg Dortch and Michael Wilson last week, but a lot of it's just been, hey, give it to Trey McBride from Kyler Murray. But, you know, against the Seattle defense, which has been this bad recently, that might be enough to just keep that score racking up. They obviously just did against a poor Philly defense last week. On the other hand, like, you know, Arizona's defense is no great shakes, I would say. Like they're they're very untalented. And Gino has been playing good since he's come back recently. Um so I expect that Seattle will be able to keep the scoreboard going as well. So this this tracks for me is a high scoring back and forth game. And with red zone ongoing, you might be seeing a lot of back and forth cutting between this game and Green Bay in the late window, because uh, I expect the NFC East to probably be locked up pretty early. Yeah, not a lot to add there. Obviously the the big problem question mark is the you know, how will the Arizona offense, who's looked a little bit more spicy recently against this Seattle defense, but I just think that the Seahawks will have more to play for, and ultimately the Cardinals might just kind of ease up on the gas as the, as the game goes on, and the Seahawks, given the other game is likely to, as I predicted, the Bears might get into a, a lead against the Packers, the Seahawks might have just that little bit more motivation to keep playing, and that might be enough to win. Yeah. Uh, next up, Sean, Rams are traveling to the San Francisco 49ers, but almost certainly both are going to be playing backups. We've gone for the 49ers. That, that's yeah, been confirmed. It's, yeah, it's, go, it's going to be kind of like a preseason type game where nobody of importance, everyone of importance can be wrapped in cotton wool and kept as far away from this game as possible, which is a shame because it would have been nice to, interesting just to, to watch, you know, the this Rams offense, for example, against this, this Niners defense. Instead, we're going to get uh, Sam Darnold versus Carson Wentz, who when it was announced that Carson Wentz was playing, I was like, oh, I've completely forgot he had signed for the Rams. Um, so that that's good. It's going to be... Yeah, it's 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 one of those red zone games that you will probably see maybe four plays total of. Um, they'll have to show all the various touchdowns, and it might be high scoring because both these teams have coaches who like to do fancy offensive stuff, and they're not likely to meet in the playoffs, so they might do some, might try out some crazy shit on one another. So it could be fun, but it's not going to be uh, important or relevant, and won't be getting much coverage with the, all the important other games happening at the same time. Yeah, next up, Kansas City take on the Chargers. Me and Ron have gone for the Chargers. Sean's gone for the Chiefs. I'm actually half tempted to take the Chiefs in this one as well because I'd forgotten how many starters the Chargers were down because the Chiefs are going to just be resting their starters. Most of them are not going to be playing. Uh, it should be some interesting bits of backup to see, uh, particularly given the wide receiver situation. There's a few people like Justin Ross who are probably going to see extended play time in this and might be able to uh, talk their way into a little bit more playing time if they do well with Gabbert and company. Uh, you'll also see, like, you know, because we're already down several million running backs, it'll be like LaMichael P. Ryan and people like that doing it. The Chargers have looked all right 
so far. Like they didn't get quite the giant bump from firing Staley that you sometimes get with the post firing bump, but you know, they look to you know, improve themselves a little bit, show off a little bit for whoever's going to be coming in and taking over next season because it's almost certainly not the current staff anyway. Um, so it's it's a kind of a it's a kind of a, a, a prove it game for them for new management coming in. So that's why I think they'll probably show up a bit more. The Chiefs won't want to put anything on tape that could be used against them. Uh, and essentially, yeah, this is just the this is the other form of having a bye week, I suppose. Uh, except you're not guaranteed home field advantage all the way for the Chiefs. Um, Denver taking on Vegas next, Ronan. We've gone for Vegas across the board. Yeah, like a, a dead rubber game, both playing for pride. I think there's probably more pride recently where Vegas uh, players are really interested in keeping Antonio Pierce around. We saw public comments of Vaudy Adams to that effect. So I expect they'll play hard, particularly on the defense. So it's really just kind of Connell generate enough offense to, to keep them competitive in this game. On the other hand, Denver, first starting for Stidham, not very inspiring now, embroiled in a bunch of controversy due to the whole Russell Wilson situation. Um, obviously, I think Pate will be motivated to, to get one over a rival and kind of prove his bona fides. But you know, I think Las Vegas are easier, a team easier to root for and a team that's more motivated right now. So let's get it done, the Vegas at home. Yeah. Uh, and finally, the big one now, Sunday Night Football, Buffalo at Miami. We've gone for Buffalo across the board here. This is for the AFC East uh, and to an extent for Buffalo. It's kind of for their playoff life, depending on how other results go. So Tua and the crew kind of got absolutely destroyed last week they don't want to be going into the playoffs with that so they're going to want to try and re-steady the boat they're going to want to be playing at home this is huge for them and in theory this is a buffalo defense that is underperforming but the last couple of weeks they've showed up a little bit more and they've been showing themselves to be a little bit more exciting although they did struggle mightily against the titans of the patriots uh so there is there is potential for for, for extraction now that said buffalo did beat the crap out of them whenever they met back in week six or seven so hopefully they'll be able to find a slightly different set of results but miami itself has also got a slight problem of like we mentioned uh, earlier injuries on the offense and to basically kind of will they be able to run what they want to run uh, against buffalo i don't know Allen has been playing pretty much out of his skin the last two or three weeks um this is a miami defense that has been improving but as we mentioned has lost uh, one of their main pass rushers in chubb they've also got um injuries in the defensive backfield and stuff as well so there's there's some question marks about there they should be exploitable but whether or not um, this buffalo team which like i said cooled a bit last week uh, will be able to kind of exploit the weaknesses that are there i would say they can i imagine this will be a josh allen puts it on his shoulders game and tries to run and do crazy bits um hopefully that doesn't mean he loses his head and starts throwing a load of interceptions as well but yeah it's going to be it's a question of can they do it without you know opening themselves up to making the kind of mistakes that happens whenever they overextend themselves sometimes um i would say against the current form of this miami team definitely they can um but like we said if waddle's back healthy if hill is feeling okay and if miami are allowed to do what miami want to do and against this defensive backfield in buffalo they should in theory be able to do that then it becomes much more of a fight and we could see a boat race. Uh, I'm not sure if I think that's the likely outcome, but this definitely could become a boat race, and that could be quite fun. 
Yeah, it's there's there's a lot to unpack in terms of this game. These are obviously two teams that know each other very well and have kind of a weird dynamic that even at the start of the season when the Dolphins were beating teams by by massive scores, the Bills were the one team that were able to stifle them. And since then, we've had a situation where the Bills kind of went off the boil for a long time, got a bunch of injuries. It looked like their season was over. Then they had an explosive return, and they looked like the best team in the NFL. And then the last two weeks, they've kind of been a bit iffy. They just about got past the Chargers and they just about got past the, the Patriots. So they're not exactly coming into this in the form that, you know, we you know you might think they would be. And obviously the Dolphins are just off a just ridiculous uh, de- defeat on the, on the part of the Ravens. So it, it's going to be a strange game as these teams kind of try and figure out the way to success. I, I kind of have to back. I think there's weaknesses on the Miami defense, even though they looked a little bit better than they did at the start of the season. They're still not... They're not, you know, as good as they should be at this level. And I think particularly Bradley Chubb is going to reduce their power on the line. I think that's going to give Josh Allen a bit more time than he than the Dolphins would like to give him. I think this is going to be one of those Josh Allen magic bullshit games because they tend to rely on him when they need him, when the chips are down. And very much chips are down because if, if you look at how we're predicting the Pittsburgh and Jacksonville games to go, it looks like the Bills could be facing a win or our elimination uh, kind of situation, win or go home, um, which definitely will 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 push them. Whereas the Dolphins, at least, know even if they lose, they're in they're in the wild card. Uh, so even on a subconscious level, that might make a difference. And obviously, the the bigger the problems that Dolphins have offensively, how healthy will they be? Will they have all their their pieces in place at 100? percent If they don't, we've talked about how brittle this team is. And Buffalo, despite their injuries, seem to have found a few more answers on the defensive side from scheme perspective recently. So I just think. In terms of on both sides of the ball, the Bills have a tiny bit of an edge, and they the game might mean just that tiny bit more to them that I think they're going to get over the line. It could be an interesting game. I think it could go back and forth, but I just think the Bills have just a little bit more in terms of talent and and coaching and personnel to, to get over the line. Yeah, I think it's a full-throated Miami defense. I would have more concerns, but I think, you know, Miami are down their two best pass rushers. Um, with the loss of Bradley Chubb and Jalen Phillips going out earlier in the year. They're going to be down one of their top cornerbacks likely with Xavier Howard back. There's only so much Jalen Ramsey can do by himself. Um, did he get Javon Hall in the back? So that's something. But I kind of feel like Buffalo will have enough here. I think they've shown enough um, offensive firepower um, against most defences that they should be able to keep racking up the points. And Miami, look, there is definitely concerns there. Like we always know the Tyreek Hill can come out blowing them up. They probably hope to have Raheem Hoster back they'll probably hope to have Jalen Waddle back so at full strength you can never dismiss Miami's offensive firepower they can put it up but we've seen too many times that you know Miami have flattered to deceive against the better teams in the NFL and Buffalo as you say might be playing you know they might be on the ultimate tightrope between the number two seed and falling out of the playoffs completely so they will probably might have that extra motivation to get it done though I would have concerns that you know they are a team that when when the chips are down can get a little bit nervous and get in their own way but you know I think Josh Allen is probably the best quarterback um, has been playing his best play recently and I think he can get it done here but uh, yeah should be a really good Sunday night football um, could be really interesting particularly if that uh, no tightrope situ- sorry that no net situation happens for Buffalo yeah um, I think the other thing to bear in mind is well that they'll know exactly how dangerous this is because the Pittsburgh and Jacksonville results will be in the bag so they kind of they'll know whether or not they're playing for playoffs or seeding versus wildcard I suppose but um yeah, I think it'll be a very exciting game. And again, fuck you, NFL. I don't have to be up at half one in the morning to watch this, but <laughs> there's an outside chance I might be. Who knows? Um, very good. Sure, that'll wrap us up for this week, lads. Any plans for the weekend? 
Uh, so yeah, I may not loan until Sunday. Sunday is my birthday, so I'll probably do some sort of birthday stuff for the weekend. Woot woot. Uh, and then home just in time to catch week 18 of the NFL. Very That's good. good. Yeah. How are yourself, Fitz? Uh, just the various, like, you know, you come back, there's not much left, so I need to get it sorted, all that sorted out, but other than that, yeah, mostly focus on week 18. Let's go. Very good, yeah. I'm going to be writing up a, a D&D scenario that I'll be running the following week, but uh, mostly at that. And obviously, uh, we'll all be drafting our uh, our 20-minute sections for next week's podcast, all about the Pro Bowl roster selections. Uh, <laughs> we have some strong thoughts. It would, it would appear that Dolphins fans are terminally online because there's far too many Dolphins players on the uh, on the AFC team, but uh, we can talk about that uh, maybe next week or further down the line, depending on timing. We might just do that as a preview for the AFC, uh, or sorry, for the for the Pro Bowl during the week in between now and the Super Bowl, but we'll we'll figure that one out. Uh, but for now, uh, that'll wrap us up. So it's bye from myself, bye from Fitz, bye, bye from Sean. Bye. This has been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week.